This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. In a world where Carolina Panthers fans have an insatiable thirst for Panthers news and opinions, only one podcast roars ferociously. It's the C3 Panthers Podcast. What's the deal, Panther fans? It's your boy, the professor, a.k.a. Tony Dunn. It's the C3 Panthers Podcast, and we got a special show for you tonight. It is a decade in review as we close out 2019. We're going to close out the past decade as it seems like we will be ushering in a new era. And uh, we hope that everybody had a Merry Christmas, and we look forward to a Happy New Year. And I want to wish... Merry Christmas to my man, Cody so Lashney. How yeah, are you, my friend? You shouldn't do that to somebody. And how did that make you done. feel? I am a wonderful man. Uh, I'm so happy to be here tonight. Uh, man, let me tell you, this is a, a very special edition show for us. This is our kiss to send off the decade. I have a brand new microphone, so I hope the chat room thinks I sound crispy and clear. And uh, as always, we have the most lit Panther fan base on YouTube. You already know what it is. Underground West, Joey Esquivel, Trill 110, Tisby, Brandon Ituwangu. I hope I said that right. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Tony Dunn, ain't nothing to it but to do it, brother. Let's roll. CK in the house as well. Merry Christmas to you, CK. And Merry Christmas to you. I uh, enjoying the... Uh... The new digs here, so that's fun. Um, did not get to join you guys on the post game, but uh, didn't miss much, I suppose. <laughs> no, you did not. No, you did not. I hope you're enjoying the new house. We got a big show tonight. We're gonna be talking about a decade in review, so there's gonna be some nostalgia about the decade ahead uh, behind us. And like your new home, we're looking to moving into a new era ourselves. Greg the Bat Daddy in the house as well. Merry Christmas to you, my friend. Merry Christmas to you, buddy, and Happy New Year coming up. Um, excited to talk some Panthers football tonight. It was a great idea with the uh, tribute to the decade with the coming of the new year, and uh, excited to talk about it. All right, go ahead and smash the thumbs up button. 
subscribe on YouTube. We're on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, uh, wherever you get your podcast. Go ahead and subscribe to the show. Um, and also, um, let's see, what else do we got to talk about? When it comes to the future schedule of the show, uh, what is next week? We have Tuesday, which is the New Year's Eve. So we won't be doing it on New Year's Eve. So we'll probably do something like this where we do the day after or Thursday. So keep an eye out for uh, another show ahead, but on a different time, as well as the post game coming up this week. And before we get into the show, I do want to remind you guys, if you are trying to attend the Panthers final game or go to a Charlotte Hornets game or Carolina Hurricanes game, the way to do it is to go to VividSeats.com, download the Vivid Seats app, and use the promo code OVERTIME. That's the promo code OVERTIME. It'll earn you up to $100 discount on your first-time purchaser. All tickets are buyer guaranteed or 100% guaranteed. It's super simple. You just sort by price. You sort by event. And uh, they make it quick and easy and secure to buy a ticket. That is Vivid Seats, promo code OVERTIME. Get a ticket you want for a price you like. All right, guys, this show tonight is, I'm very excited about it. Cody suggested we do a show, uh, a decade in review, since we are closing this out. And instead of us just talking and droning on and on about who the head coach is going to be for the Carolina Panthers or what Cam Newton, what the status is with Cam Newton, we're going to look at this from a holistic perspective. And I want to harken back to 2010, guys. It was a putrid year, 2-14, and 14, highlighted by the firing of John Fox. We had no first-round draft pick that year. It really was the end of an era in so many ways. No Jake DeLome in 2010. It was a tank year, Jimmy Clausen. And there's really nothing to talk about in that era other than tanking, paying guys like uh, D'Angelo as well as... Um, that's it. I think uh, the game that I remember from 2010 was the New Orleans Saints 34-3 to uh, defeat of the Carolina Panthers. I was there sitting on the fourth row in like this, I mean, on the sixth row on the 45-yard line. It was a tough game. We stayed to the entire end of the game, though, guys, because we had such great seats and only went to one game a year at that time. And uh, I got to my – the highlight of the game was when I yelled at – um, who's the Drew Brees, and I couldn't say anything mean about his play, so I had to talk junk about his commercial and his acting, and I said that his wife was a better was better in the commercial than he was. He did laugh at that. We got on the Jumbotron twice, but other than that, nothing to think about when it comes to 2010. Does anybody have any thoughts about the end of that era and how it was about to set up really this show today well i mean i think 2010 undoubtedly was the catalyst for what the decade was to become you know it would cement that first round pick uh that would ultimately end up being cameron Darrell newton who by the way i just want to shout out all panther fans cam newton is currently in first place in the walter payton man of the year fan vote and he's winning by like over 30,000 or something crazy right now. Shout out to all the Panther fans on Twitter that made that happen. But yeah, 2010 uh, was the last year of John Fox. It ushered in Cam Newton and Ron Rivera. And it would be the starting point for the Panther team that 
that we know and love and have been following so intently over the past nine years, nine, ten years now. Imagine where we're at in this show right now at this point after the season we've had uh, this year. And imagine if we were doing this podcast in 2010. How tough it would have been <laughs> at this point. You know what? We might be. We're in a probably the closest thing to that moment. This year yeah. might be the closest thing to 2010 since that moment then. Um, but let's go ahead. Yeah, exactly. All right. So here, let's move to the the real story of the decade. I think it begins in 2011, obviously, with the drafting of Cam Newton, the hiring of Ron Rivera. We uh, in 2011, we've we fired John Fox in 2010. We interviewed only defensive coaches for the position, the replacement of John Fox, Ron Rivera. Second Latino coach comes in, and uh, that year, guys, we had, you know, that was Cam Newton. You, it was highlighted by this story. Andrew Luck has foregone the NFL draft, has decided to come back for his senior year because what we believed is he didn't want to come to Carolina. You had people saying Cam Newton, who was coming off the most magical college season ever, with winning the Heisman in in Auburn. It was just amazing to see that. But still, a lot of people were suspicious of Cam Newton. Charlie Casserly is one of those who said Blaine Gabbert should be picked ahead of him. And I'd like to point out to this, this was a Bleacher Report mock draft from 2011. Nick Fairley was, marked, uh, was mocked to the Panthers at number one. Newton uh, would was slated for number 12 pick in Minnesota behind A.J. Green, Robert Quinn, Cameron Jordan, and Blaine Gabbert. But SB Nation and Peter King got it right. Cam Newton, number one pick. And really, the number one story of the decade, don't you think? Oh, yeah. That was a great draft class. And 2011 was a great draft class. Uh, oh, I totally agree. Uh, that, that laid out the foundation for what would be us the next decade. And I don't know what we would be had we not gone in that direction. Um, you know, mocks can say whatever they want to, and I guess different players work out differently, and where you know, depending on where you go. But uh, Cam Newton kind of fell into our lap based on the position we were in, and uh, he's been the main, uh, if not sole, reason for a lot of the success we've had uh, over the past decade. I mean, and you can say some of the stuff failures too, but nobody's perfect. I'm glad we didn't wuss out, guys, and not pick Cam Newton. Yeah. Man, how how different would would our team be right now if if we didn't have Cam Newton? And it's I mean, it's an entirely different football team, an entirely different feel. I mean, you're talking about um I mean Cam Newton has been the identity really of this football team for I mean, since since he was drafted. And you mentioned that draft class, that 2011 draft class. And while it will go down in history for the number of players that it saw drafted and how good they were, one thing that is absolutely true, Cam Newton was the only good player that the Panthers drafted that year. Tony and I were looking uh, through some of the different draft classes that the Carolina Panthers have had. And this is the 2011 draft class for the Panthers. In order, Cam Newton, 
Terrell McClain, Sion Fuwa, Brandon Hogan, Kiloha Pilaris, Lawrence Wilson, Zachary Williams, and Lee Ziemba. A bunch of who the fuck is that guy, dude? Just, man, that class. There's only one person. We only got one pick. The first pick. It was like we put in the first pick and then we quit. Yeah, and then just out the window, dude. No talent evaluation whatsoever. Um, And I think, uh, you know, Tony and I have uncovered this. You're going to see the theme tonight is that the Panthers have not drafted exceedingly well almost at all over the past decade, man. There's been a whole lot of busts, a whole lot of um, players that, that ended up being only average, and some were still wondering about uh, even to this day. So it begins with Cam Newton and Ron Rivera. Where were they then? Cam Newton, a unrefined quarterback, according to most, burst onto the scene and was six instant success then, right? I was reading a story about how Derek Anderson said that he could be running to his right, throw off balance, and throw it 70 yards, you know, and that he, his him improvisation, his elect, he was the uh, insane athlete. Ron Rivera taking over a team that did not, that had some talent on it in some ways, but a lot of problems, obviously, with the two and 14, or would become to have some talent in it over the next year or two. So now, if you think about it, Cam Newton suffering from injury just has undergone another surgery with his, uh, uh, what is it now? His Liz Frank injury. Frank, yeah. And Ron Rivera um, fired ceremonious exit from Carolina. Where were they then? Where are they now? CK, any thoughts on the Cam Newton, Ron Rivera era? Yeah, certainly. I mean, you you have a lot of different angles to take from this. Obviously, you know, we can we can talk about what we saw early on in the Ron Rivera era. And uh one one of the things that I was thinking about and one of the things that Cam Newton always benefited from up until our 2015 season we never had a prolific offense. We always, what had always occurred for us was Ron Rivera had built a really good defense and our offense didn't have to do a tremendous amount of work, right? You know, you look at 2011, 2012, those weren't great seasons. They didn't really culminate into much. 2013, what did we think we saw? We thought we saw the last season of Ron Rivera and then all of a sudden we're one and three. He goes on a 10 game tear and ends up winning the division. You know, and that really kind of created the moniker of of Riverboat Ron. Riverboat Ron, unfortunately, in my opinion, never existed. He just basically changed the way he did things to adapt more to what the league was doing at that moment. Um, but the, the the question about the Cam Newton and the Ron Rivera era is I don't believe that we had any year where the defense was really good and the offense was really good until 2015. And what's happened since then is a flip-flop. I feel like our, our offense has been really good since then. If you look at the numbers Newton's been putting up and, and you know, with us getting, you know, Christian McCaffrey and actually getting some decent playmakers on offense, now all of a sudden our defense is the, you know, inept one. 
So I think that's where Ron Rivera's downfall really came is the one reason that he was a good coach was he was a defensive-minded coach. We have not been good defensively since 2015. So and if you think, have, if you but think that about is a, that is a good point that you mentioned about Ron Rivera never being riverboat. I feel like we only kind of saw him when he was coaching for his job. That's when you saw the best of Ron Rivera. That's when you saw him take yeah. the chances is when Ron Rivera felt his ass was on the hot seat. And, hey, kudos to him. He, he did turn it on. Um, he is the most winningest head coach in, in Panther history, and he was responsible for some incredible football games that that was uh, that he was the coach of. So, Well, I think what CK is saying, too, is something that I've alluded with uh, Ron Rivera and what – I've said, you know, over the past month since the Ron Rivera stuff has happened is that he over the past few years and really since 20 the Super Bowl, he stopped doing what made us like him in the first place, you know, or he started doing those things not as well. So, you you know, you mentioned I mean, if you mention this is that even if you go back to 2011 um, and the tough start for the Carolina Panthers. I think they started out 0-4, even though Cam – I don't know if we were 0-4, but remember, like, Cam had all these crazy-ass numbers in the first three games or whatever, but we lost the games Um, on top of that. But, you know, in 2011, I feel like we reeled off, like, five out of eight or something like that, as well as 2012. Again, you finished the year strong – after a uh, after a tough year 2013 again another strong finish defensive team 2014 as well is that while it wasn't a good year i think you did well at the back in december remember we used to say ron rivera and this team gets better in december and we haven't been able to yeah. say say that for the last three years now and if I think if I go back, I told you guys in 2010, if there was a, a memorable game for me, it was that 34 to three loss against the Saints. In 2011, does anybody have a memorable game from 2011? Because uh, I have one on, on, at the top of my mind, but it's not the best one. I remember. So one, I remember that first touchdown pass. From Cam Newton to Steve to Smith. Steve Smith. Yeah, Cardinals. that's the game I remember. That's the game. Yeah, that was such a beautiful game. And uh, Cam Newton against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I'll never forget, they were wearing those throwback orange creamsicle jerseys. Uh, Cam Newton just took off, man. That's when you really got the sense of the kind of running threat that Cam Newton is and ultimately would become for the rest of his career. Just dominant, man. I, I mean, I think... Uh, it really does get lost on people that Cam Newton really is the first of his kind. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger was big, but he was never mobile. He might have been mobile in the pocket some, but uh, a 250-pound, six-foot-five quarterback that runs a four-five, and he's barreling at you, and you have to make a business decision on whether or not to tackle that guy. I mean, just Cam Newton was one of a kind as soon as he was drafted to the Panthers. And we got the first glimpse of how dominant of a player Cam Newton could end up being very early in his career. Set the rookie passing record in 2011. 
the the game that sticks out to me is actually the Green Bay game. Uh, yep. Green Bay was coming off of a championship run where they actually took home the Lombardi in 2010, if I'm not mistaken. And wow. Cam Newton came in there and very came, came very close to beating them. Yep. Um, it, it was a very close game, and it came down to the end. Uh, and what I remember most about that game isn't necessarily the performance Newton put on, which was prolific, mind you. It was a great performance by Cam Newton. The most it, the most impactful part of that entire game was the post-game interview that Aaron Rodgers gave saying the league better watch out for Cam Newton. That guy is good. You know, and that's something that stuck with me from day one, his first season. I still had mixed emotions about the whole thing. It wasn't about the laptop. It had nothing to do with that. I just – I had never really uh, thought of, can't you know, having a mobile quarterback for the Panthers. Um, as the franchise moving forward. And I think that moment when Aaron Rodgers put the legal notice saying Cam Newton is somebody you need to watch out for because he is going to be a great quarterback, that part is what sold me on Cam Newton. When you have a, a player of Aaron Rodgers' caliber putting that moniker on Cam Newton as being the having the ability and will be a great quarterback in this league, that sold me right then and there on what Cam Newton was going to be. So that was a memorable game for me just based on that post-game interview by Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I, I actually – that was actually the game I was going to bring up for almost the exact same reason about Aaron Rodgers' endorsement of Cam Newton at that point. So you beat me to it there, but uh, that's <laughs> 2011's – I don't remember a super ton of games specifically from then, but, yeah, that, that one does stand out to me. I remember uh, after the game, Cam Newton and uh, Aaron Rodgers meeting at the middle of the field and hugging. And uh, Rogers saying something to him, then he talked in the post game. Um, but yeah, that that was definitely something that stood out for me. And I, I don't know if that was when I started believing. I couldn't really tell you when I started believing because I was kind of skeptical about Cam as well before we drafted him. Uh, but I turned out to be wrong, which I often do, and uh, I don't mind being wrong in the situation. So um, yeah, Green Bay for the game. I still game of the season, wasn't it? Something like that. Let me see. I can look it up. Um, for me, it's still that Cardinals game in the beginning. I remember that's what's crazy is we just, I just can remember so vividly uh, the first game of Cam Newton's career. Let's see. The Packers was week two. Yeah. 30, uh, 30, 23. Yeah. Two, uh, two home losses in a row. We did. We started out, we lost to the Cardinals. See, this is, where I remember too is that Cam Newton had that fantastic game, 400 yards passing in two, the first two weeks of his career. They put the stat up every time a a, a young buck comes in and has success in in the NFL. But you know we would have won that game had Patrick Peterson not returned a punt for a touchdown that really took them ahead. So like that was I, there was just so many elements. It was Patrick Peterson who was. Wasn't he the number two pick? Patrick no. Peterson. Four or five, right? Okay. Was Von Miller two? I think Von Miller was two, yeah. Yeah, Von and Miller Nick, was two. Nick Miller was three, wasn't he? A lot of people thought Patrick yeah, yeah, Peterson he... was going to go one that year. Wait, who did you say was number three? Uh, wasn't Nick Farrell? Nick Farrell was three, wasn't he? No, I think. Who, wasn't Julio Jones number three? Didn't the Falcons trade the up against who? I can't remember to be honest with you. I'm about I know. to. I'm about like to. I said, that was such All a right, great draft class. Because <laughs> right, so, he, he, Von Miller was number two, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he was number two. 
I want to go and talk about a memorable game in 2012. Speaking of Ron Rivera, Cam Newton era, uh, 2012 for me was this, guys, is that I had gotten spoiled in 2010 because I told you I went to that 34-3 to game and we sat in such great seats because it was so cheap because we were terrible. We ponied up a little bit more the next year and sat lower level uh, again in Cam's rookie year before people got too, too excited about it. In 2012, I went to, on November 11th, would have been my birthday. So what is that, eight years ago? Seven years ago? Seven years ago, I would have been 31. Yeah, so I would have been 31. It would have been my 31st birthday. Uh, I had probably, I had just had my full-time job, started my career for two years. So what we did is this, is that we went to see the Denver Broncos game, Peyton Manning. We paid to sit in the same seats we had kind of been sitting in, those lower level. We spent $250 a ticket, bro. Wow. Yeah, it was terrible. And I this is when I, ma- I made a, a sign. We made these signs that were, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's super cam. We got on the Jumbotron. All of this, it was, it was, it was going to be great, except for Peyton Manning and them carved us up. And that was when I realized, whenever an AFC team plays Carolina at home, that they put the game on CBS because part of our signs that we made had Fox in the moniker, and it was the wrong channel. Everything went wrong that game, from the beginning of purchase of tickets to Peyton Manning carving us up. That was the year of the Cam Newton towel story. So, uh, if, if I may uh, give a few little keynotes before we go a little bit further, uh, the top 10 of 2011 draft was Cam oh. Newton, Vaughn Miller, Marcel Darius, went to the Buffalo Bills from Alabama, AJ Green, Patrick Peterson, Julio Jones, Alden Smith, Jake Locker, Tyron Smith, and Blaine Gabbert. Wow, so Nick uh, wasn't in there at all. Yeah, oh. now, uh, he was number 13 to the okay. Lions. Uh, but also another um, uh, point of note about the 2012 season is that's when the Panthers changed their logo from the old one to the new one. Great from thing. the old classic logo to what I think is the much improved, much sleeker, cleaner Panther logo that we worn our helmets with today. Yeah, Mm -hmm. man, this is so good. And Tony, to piggyback a little bit on the game that you mentioned, that was also the game where uh, Steve Smith damn near decapitated Von Miller on a, um, it was like a comeback block, and Von, <laughs> and Von Miller just didn't see him. And Steve Smith put Von Miller into the dirt, bro. I mean, owned his soul. Steve Smith must have had a vision from the future, and he must have seen what Von did to Cam in the Super Bowl in 2015, and he took out his revenge in the past and just <laughs> laid it down on Von Miller. 
Yeah, but that's that was kind of like a butterfly effect type deal. Maybe he's what caused Von Miller to do that in 2015. Yeah, yeah, maybe. yeah. yeah. So. How about this? Maybe. Brad Dugan says 2012 was when Cam said in his post game he's putting a suggestion box at the podium for anybody to write ideas or suggestions because they got off to a bad start. <laughs> <laughs> that was the year that. So a lot of things go bad in 2012, and it started. If you remember, it started with uh, Mac Ryan Khalil taking out a full page ad in the Charlotte Observer that. saying they were going to win the Bowl. Super Bowl, yeah. and then it just all just spiraled out of control. I don't know if Cam had ankle surgery that year, and that was remember he had an ankle surgery. I think that might have been twenty twelve. Mm, Unless it was know. 2014, it might have been 2014 actually. All right, so if you think of the uh, going to that, I think our next topic to segue because I think 2012 year uh, takes us to the bringing in of Dave Gettleman. We got rid of Marty Herney in 2012. We did draft Luke Keekley that year. That was pretty noteworthy, and uh, then we bring in Dave Gettleman who is, you know, he takes over a somewhat tough situation and a somewhat kind of good situation. Secretly, he had Cam Newton, you know, who who has been the story of the decade, not secretly, but he also had some pretty good pieces on defense there when it comes to adding, injecting Luke Keekley into a team that was losing John Beeson at that point or getting to the back end of John Beeson. Thomas Davis is about to come back and put his second stamp on his career. You had Charles Johnson at his peak. You had um, who Greg Hardy. So yeah. he didn't have any money. That was the thing. So Dave Gettleman didn't have any money to start with, but he had some of those linchpins. And we really had a an impressive season. It was where we finished twelve and four that year. CK, you said what did we, we we won ten in a row? Yeah, like ten in a row. We went one and three, I think, to begin the 20, uh, 2013 season. And then we we if I'm not mistaken, we got ten in a row and then we lost one and then we won our final one, if I'm not mistaken. Um but it was uh it was definitely and that's when the the Riverboat Ron moniker really started, but that you no, know, that in, was in, that was in 2014 that the riverboat Ron came. I thought that's what I was thinking too. Yeah, remember it no, was in pr- the tie game where he should have gone for it and then he didn't, and we tied. So then he went for it on like fourth down every time for the rest of the year. I'm not sure. I remember the 2014 season being the first time that I really, really heard the riverboat moniker. Um, and, and again, that was a, you know, that was that seven, eight and one season, just weird. Um, and, and, yeah. And again, you know, <laughs> kind of like what, what CK said earlier, man, uh, whenever Ron Rivera is coaching for his job, uh, remember at that point, 2013 was his only claim to fame as a, as a winning coach. Right. So 2014 so, was a down year from him. He had to he had to play for his job. 2013 made us think made a lot of our good impressions of two people. 
Ron Rivera got a lot of good will that season in 2013 because that team could not score offensively, but the defense was just insanely good. We had something like 60 sacks that year. It was, it was like a great year. But also Dave Gettleman got a ton of kudos. Right? He comes in. He has a fantastic draft that year, or it seemed like a good draft. He got star in KK. We'll talk about some yeah. of the other players. But Dave Gettleman put together this winning team with some retreads like Mike Mitchell. So you get Mike Mitchell that came in. Drayton Florence was there. They brought in. So there was these all these like little pieces that he put together that made us think that Dave Gettleman was some sort of super guru. And I think some of the ways that we won games that season – also made us just love so many parts of this team from beating the Patriots on Monday night football with the ice up sun moment, right? That was when Steve Smith put to Aqib Talib or Talib Kwali, whatever his name is. Aqib Talib, yep. Aqib Talib. <laughs> Remember, he they snatching the chains and this and that and the ice up son and he had to leave hurt. I think that and then there wasn't weren't you guys uh who was anybody at the game that year that it rained? And or, or not me. No, not who not was it? Not, didn't some of you didn't did Greg, did you go to a monsoon game? I went to the twenty fifteen Colts game. Yeah, me too. I was there oh, with okay. you. Greg, we didn't know it, but <laughs> It, it, so it, in it, it, twenty it horribly that game in twenty thirteen there was a game against the Saints where the Panthers it poured and poured and poured and you saw these pictures of these poor fans standing right under the spigot and it was just pouring on their heads and stuff like this <laughs> and then it cleared up towards the end and the Panthers couldn't do anything they come back. They couldn't uh, – so Ron Rivera punts the ball from like R30 after – with less than two minutes left, and we didn't go for it on a fourth and like nine or fourth and eight. And everybody's like, you got to go for it. You got to go for it. What the hell are you doing? He punted the ball. Then we get we, – we put a three and out on him, and then Cam Newton marches us down the field, and he hit like Akeem Nicks or something for a touchdown. So you had that game that was memorable. You had the the Monday night football game that was memorable. And so that made us feel so great. And I think we were thinking so many great things about the draft at that point too, um, Cody. A lot of optimism. Now let's talk about the decade of drafting for the or actually any other things about Dave Gettleman. Well, Just points of note. He had problems with players you had the story of the Steve yeah. Smith issue to the D'Angelo Williams to Josh Norman rescinding the franchise tag. So there were yeah. some tough, tough things when it came to um, Dave Gettleman, but he had a lot of clout with us. So let's talk about the draft of the past decade, Cody. Well, yeah, so – and it's looking now that David Gettleman is probably going to end up losing his job with the Giants as well. Um, I don't know if he'll get another GM job after failing in Carolina and New York and being an you older You think he's guy. out already in New York? 
Yeah, I mean that's what I'm starting to hear in the you know the online rumor mill. Yeah, but um, mm-hmm. you know it's uh, you know I, I feel like it's the popular thing to do to kind of shit on David Edelman, and and oh, yeah, yeah, I'm draft, about to do it. Yeah, yeah, and listen, I'm not, I'm not definitely not going to defend him and say that we made the right move or that we made the wrong move in um, deciding to let him go. I mean, it was definitely time to move on, but I think um, really outside of Cam and Luke. The cornerstone of what this team has been over the past, you know, uh, seven years has been players that David Gettleman brought in. You're looking at right. uh, K1 Short, Trey Turner, Star Latulale, Andrew Norwell went undrafted. And we cannot forget David Gettleman drafted Christian McCaffrey in 2017. And that was, I, I, I out to be pretty good. I will say that he did that, but I almost feel like he was forced to do that. Either way, he pulled the trigger. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, we'll never know. I've even heard rumors that they wanted to move up to number two to draft Leonard Fournette, but the 49ers didn't want to let go, or whoever was number two didn't want to let go of, of that pick. So. We've heard this rumors, but here is that we got, okay, so Christian McCaffrey, other than that, Dave Gettleman did not have a good draft since 2013. Well, 2012. You, know, you can say you can say that, but I mean, he did give us Shaq Thompson, and while I'm not saying Shaq Thompson's the best player in the world, he's a cornerstone piece of our franchise now. We drafted him, we developed him, and now we've given him a big contract. That's the like, least exciting way to argue that a GM is great. <laughs> Pulling out Shaq Thompson. I mean, I'm not. Hey, I'm not defending that he's great, but he. All right, like give me Cody something better saying, than Shaq Thompson. Give me something better than Shaq Thompson. Uh, KK. KK. I mean, I'm telling you, that year, star. That year, he got. He comes in. He takes two defensive tackles. Cody, like you said, we basically drafted four defensive tackles in four rounds in two years. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. Real bad. One, one was Vernon Butler, unfortunately. No, no. Yeah. Going back even further, uh, Marty Herney drafted two defensive tackles in 2012, right? And, and yeah, so actually, no. In 2000, um, uh, 2011, the, after Cam Newton, it was two defensive tackles in a row. Uh, uh, Terrell McLean and Sion Fua from South Florida and Stanford. And by the way, let me clarify here. Specifically for Tyler in our chat, I am not defending Dave Gettleman. I think that now it has been revealed um, just how much Dave Gettleman set this team back with, one, how he treated a lot of the players that he moved on from. A lot of people felt slighted uh, with how the organization moved on for him. Steve Smith, D'Angelo Williams. Uh, I even want to say Jordan Gross. That situation wasn't handled very well. So I'm not defending Dave Gettleman. I'm just saying. No, let's talk about his drafting. It was it's yeah. terrible, dude. Yeah. So I mean, Tony and I were talking before the show, and we were trying to figure out what year was his best draft year. And I'm thinking it might be 2015, just because we know all the names. There were five picks. Oh my god. Shaq Thompson, and really the, the the fact that this might be the best is a testament to how bad it's been. All right, so Shaq Thompson, Devin Funches, <laughs> Williams, oh, David Mayo, 
Antonio Donzone, Cameron Artis Payne. Cameron Artis Payne is the best player in that draft class. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, Chad Thompson. We'll never know. I know. I'm going to crap on. Not bad, man. Yeah, I'm going to crap great. on Gettleman a little bit. Like, even if you want to point out KK and you want to point out Star and, you know, the undrafted uh, Norwell and all that, I have yet to see a GM not hit on at least one person in a four-year, ten-year, five-year, ten-year, however long it was. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't even – I don't personally give him credit for that either. You know, it, it's it, – honestly, you, you cannot make that many picks in the draft and especially in the early rounds, and not hit at least once or twice. Here's I the think, honestly, here's the problem: is that you're right. Is it's fourteen? It's if you take out thirteen, and you take out twenty seventeen, twenty fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen, nobody worked out. He never drafted a star, other than no. the two of them. But I think twenty fourteen is the draft that could have been. I think if Kelvin Benjamin or Coney Ely would have been a star, we would have looked back at 2014 as one of the best drafts because that was Benjamin, Ely, Trey Turner, Trey Boston, Ben A. Bibwickery, Tyler Gaffney. All of those guys contributed. You know, Kelvin Benjamin had a sensational rookie season. Coney Ely was the damn Super Bowl MVP, essentially. Yeah, the the Mm -hmm. would-be Super Bowl MVP. And Trey, yeah, yeah, man. But I agree. Is I think if you think if you look at that in retrospect, though, it's a bad draft because Benjamin and Ely are nothing. Uh, ben A. Ben Wickery is no longer. Tyler Gaffney is no longer. Trey Boston and Trey Turner, <coughs> best things out of that. Twenty fifteen, the best thing you get is Shaq Thompson, and then Salad Boy Devin Funches, and then twenty sixteen was so bad. Yeah, I think so 2016 bad. is the worst. Especially on top of it is that you didn't have, uh, you didn't even have that many picks. You only had five picks, and David Gettleman was a hypocrite because listen, at the time I was a huge David Gettleman fan. Me I too. I had a, a yeah. Gettleman for president moniker on. I, I listened to his press conferences. I love all of his draft theologies and stuff. That's kind of what got me into really uh, wanting to evaluate players and, and know football uh, really like I do now. It was d- listening to Dave Gettleman press conferences. And the fact that in 2016, he was a hypocrite to his own, um, you know, knowledge, to his own words, because he said you never shop hungry. Meaning if you don't have a corner, you don't go draft, and you said draft three corners in a row. He also always said we use free agency to set up the draft. And what did he do that year? Yeah, didn't didn't do that at all, man. He left holes that he desperately tried to fill in Bradbury, Royal, and Sanchez. And shout out to Brother Herbert. Uh, there's still a lot of uh, dissenting opinions on James Bradbury even to this day. Worley and Sanchez are no longer on the football team. Vernon Butler has been an utter disappointment up until this year. And now he's punching people in the helmet and flipping people off. Uh, yeah, that was it, – it really did set us back uh, a good bit, I think. Um, let's see. 
We picked uh, Devin Funches in 2015, 41st overall. In 2016, the Saints picked Michael Thomas at 47. Mm. That sucks. That's two different years, I know, but still. And then the other thing is this, is what hurts your heart that more or that Vernon Butler was the first round draft pick there? Jeez. Mm. Gotta be the Vernon Butler. What's the biggest bust of the era? All right, here, let me say, I'll give you some names. Vernon Butler. Uh, Devin Funches, Kelvin Benjamin. That's my vote. Kelvin. And and Coney Ely. It it has to be. So you think Kelvin Benjamin's a bigger bust than Vernon Butler? Yes. Kelvin Benjamin led to the injury that has sidelined Cam Newton for two years now. I mean, people really do forget that. Kelvin Benjamin, uh, it was in the red zone. Cam throws it up. Not only does Benjamin not even uh, attempt to make a play on the ball, but it's intercepted. Benjamin has the opportunity to tackle the, the corner, but doesn't do anything. The corner runs all the way back to the end zone. Cam Newton chases him down and in the process falls on his shoulder and, and hurts his shoulder. And that was the injury that, that we've been dealing with for the past four years now. So even if Benjamin was a thousand yard receiver for one year, it doesn't matter. The actions of that one lazy, fat, boopy Goldberg looking receiver set us back tremendously. Yeah. I mean, you make a fair argument there, but it, you're, you're arguing about injury, which when you go out there in the field can happen on any play, any time, uh, you know, accident or somebody not playing their position, just the fact that they're, these are men trying to move men against their will. Uh, but for me personally, I, I, the only reason I disagree with you is because at least Kelvin Benjamin gave you some kind of production before he got cheeseburger crazy. He gave you some kind of production. Uh, Coney Ely, Ely gave you some kind of production. Um, who was the other guy in there? Um, Vernon Butler, and then who uh, else? Oh, Devin Funches. Devin Funches gave you some kind of production. Kona Ely, yeah, he's giving you a little bit now, but what year we draft? They're not Kona, Vernon Butler. Oh, you mean Vernon Butler? What year did we draft Vernon Butler? Two thousand sixteen. Yeah, this yeah. is like his fourth year, and his fourth year, he's finally giving you some production. How like, many years yeah. did we get? How many years did we get anything from uh, from Kelvin Benjamin? Well, the Two. first year he had a better year. His rookie year, he had a better rookie year than Julio Jones did. Look at the stats. But what I mean is, there well, was he got one two. year. We got he's... two years out of him because he was all right for us in 2016. He was. He was no. Okay. No, we traded him in 2016, didn't we? No, we traded him in 2017. Was it 2017? Yeah, yeah. 2017. But he wasn't good. Like he wasn't. He he wasn't. Oh, he was bad in 2017. He was bad in 2017. Yeah. I think it was here. I'll, I'll look up his stats from 2017. In my life, I have never seen a receiver run lazier routes in my life than Devin Funches. Every corner that was on him knew the route that he was going to run before he ran it. He was in the hip pocket. Uh, or the cornerbacks were in his hip pocket. The entire time. And even for a guy that size, he was never great at going <laughs> up and pointing the football anyway. He had a few plays where he made a, a good catch here and there. 
but overall it didn't even serve the purpose of that larger body jump ball receiver. He just never panned out. And, and like I said, I hear what you're saying, Greg, but that his, his laziness on one measly play has led to four years are you us, saying uh, that Devin Funches is the laziest I, route runner or Kelvin Benjamin? Yeah, I meant yeah. Benjamin if I said Funches. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, my apologies. But um, if it wasn't for, for Benjamin not being so lazy, we wouldn't have been talking about Cam Newton being hurt so much and not potentially. being able to throw the football. Yeah, potentially. But he, he played a large, large role. And I'm never going to forgive him for that San Diego charge. Kelvin Benjamin I, did I, have I, 941 yards and seven touchdowns in 2016. And he was yeah. overweight then, too. Yeah. That was well, the year ahead. that he came into camp overweight, and then they thought it was because of the injury, and he lost some. And then 2017, he just sucked. Took a note of that, yeah. Well, you know, Cody, the thing is about what you were saying with that is you're right. He didn't make that tackle, but he also didn't throw that interception. You know, I mean, there's tons of tons of ways you can look at that kind of different thing. I mean, oh, actually, no, I think that interception was on like his fault, like technically. I think he like didn't even run the route. Okay, I think I I remember it being something. I but I get what you're saying too, Greg. Is like, all right, to hold one play. Against him, I do think I'm kind of with you. As Vernon Butler did, has done less overall. Um, now let's turn to the next subject, though, because really, I mean, if you think about it, is arguably 2017 was was the best draft of Dave Gettleman, and that was Kurt, Christian McCaffrey, Curtis Samuel, Taylor Moten, Harrison Butker. Um, now, in 2017, though, it was after that draft, that tough talk between uh, Dave Gettleman and guys like Thomas Davis and Greg Olson, hometown heroes, led to his firing just one day before training camp opened up. And then we brought in old Marty Herney uh, to the return, Marty Herney 2.0. But before we move on to any of that, we do have to talk about the most magical part of the last decade and arguably the most magical moment of the Carolina Panthers entire franchise history. And that is the 2015 season. It begins, um, it begins in 2015 with none other than the injury of Kelvin Benjamin, the tear of the ACL, the drafting of Devin Funches. And we think that that draft actually at the end of 2015, we thought that the 2015, let's see, and 2014 draft, the 2014 draft, we thought it was those two drafts were lights out by that point. Because in we march in this magical run, guys. We won, what was it, 15 straight? No, it was, we won... Uh, fourteen. We we lost the week seventeen again or week sixteen against uh Atlanta. Atlanta. So we yeah. were fourteen Atlanta. and zero. Then we went to fifteen and one. Uh, fifteen and fourteen and one and fifteen and one. Right. Right. Yep. So we make it to the Super Bowl. Um, the guys, when it comes to the magical season, this I do think is what made us believe that Dave Gettleman was a miracle worker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Well. 
that that season was super magical and what the best thing about it was nobody saw it coming and i don't even think we saw it coming especially when kelvin benjamin tears his acl on a non-contact injury in the preseason on a in a, in a intermittent inter, or inner uh game inner team scrimmage yep against the like, bills it, wasn't it and that dolphins yeah and that was after his dolphins that after that's his who it was dolphins season yeah, that was after his stellar rookie season. So I thought, oh, it, it, we're done. Panther season is done. And the actual projection for them that year was to go eight and eight. Like I looked, I looked yeah. up their projection. They were to go eight and eight. They were supposed to lose, projected to lose to the Seahawks in week six, Eagle, Eagles week seven, Colts week eight, Packers week nine, losing four in a row after starting four uh, four and zero, oh, losing four in a row. Then Dallas in week twelve, the Saints thirteen, Giants in week fifteen, the Falcons in week sixteen. The only one that ended up being true. Was the Falcons in Week 16? We we won every one of those other games, so it was a really magical season. Nobody saw coming, and I've got some amazing stats for this season. We'll go through in a minute, but I was at Week One. Uh, we were on the roads. We went to Jacksonville. We faced the Jaguars, and then it was a pick six by Josh Norman or two pick. Uh, so pick six or at some point in that game that solidified things. I tell you this is that the offense didn't start to cook right away. It was you could see it brewing, but that defense was a a really opportunistic defense for us that year. Is that by the end of the season they did not have the most magical stats that they did at one point in the year. Denver would be able to overtake them, and I think Seattle had a pretty sick defense that year as well. That might have been 2013. I'm thinking about Seattle, but our defense did kind of taper off a little bit mid-season or some different moments. But at the same time that happened, the offense was catching fire. So anything that could go right went right that year. Mm-hmm. Um, guys, initial thoughts on this is thinking back on 2015, what, was, what made that team so good? Obviously, Cam Newton in the MVP season and really a lot of turnovers and good field position is what I remember. I think what it, and honestly, in my personal opinion, I think it was we won a lot of the close games. The problem was, I guess, the one thing you could knock on that team is that we let too many teams back in. I don't know if you guys remember, but every game we were winning by like three touchdowns, and yeah. we let every single one of them get back in the game mm-hmm. because of Ron Rivera's game plan and how he plays the game. Um, you know, we still pulled those out. But what I, the thing that sticks out to me most about that is, like I talked about before, is really the th- that was the first time that everything was working in sync. Like we'd always had a really good defense by that point, but we hadn't really had an offense that was able to put things together. And then we finally had an offense that was able to put things together, and the defense was still really good. Mm-hmm. So now I think we started to see – what with what that did, what how that changed the the game for us? So we saw a lot more of the fact that when we have a top ten defense and a top five offense, by that point, it's it's hard to it's hard to beat a team with that type of a, a, a ranking. So I think that's where you, you kind of see that culmination of things come together. I think we started to catch some excitement that season in week six when we went to Seattle and beat mm-hmm. them twenty seven twenty three. Mm-hmm. You know, a team that had had our number and we had seen all of these 15, 12 games 
between them and then all of a sudden we go into their house it was so loud and i believe we came back to win that one i remember it being a game that was just like oh cam is the man then you come back against the eagles you're worried and i really think that the colts game is when we started getting interested in this team you know it didn't it was a back and forth kind of match cuz then next week we come out and beat the packers um, and I think that we really, that Seattle game meant a lot to that season. Yeah. The, the moment that I knew the 2015 Carolina Panthers were for real was when we went up to Seattle. No one was picking us. We had to go on a game winning drive and I'll never forget. It was a busted coverage Cam Greg Olson. And yeah, the, I remember that one. <laughs> just the type of shit that dreams so are beautiful. made of, dude. Yeah, so Tyler Lovato that, was pointing that out in the YouTube chat. That is etched in my brain forever. I will always remember that game. Just so incredible, man. Yeah. And that's when I remember I, I had a collective sigh of relief after that game because I felt like, oh, dude, I'm, it doesn't matter what the score is. I believe in this Carolina Panthers team to come back and beat anyone. That's why I was not afraid against the Colts that the the game that you two went to. Um, I, I was not afraid against the Giants when we were beating the. This is the the game where Josh Norman and uh, Odell Beckham had a UFC fight in the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but dude, we were beating them down, and like CK said, that Panthers defense. Stingy at the front, but at the back end of the football game, the third and fourth quarter, we let the Giants all the way back, and Cam Newton just put the team on his shoulders, drove us down the field for the field goal that that won us the football game. And I, I was I was never worried in any of those games because of what the Panthers did to the Seahawks in Seattle. You know what? It, it still gives me chills thinking about it. Every time that I th- like the most, it, it's kind of like the Christian McCaffrey uh, slant pass when Cam Newton said, "You know, uh, you've been watching film. We'll watch this." You yeah. kind of got that. You kind of got that same feel with that Giants game when it cut to Cam Newton on that TV screen. They came back. They were winning the game. I think by one point, we needed to be able to get in field goal range to re- win it. Otherwise, we were going to lose that game if I'm not mistaken, or at least go into overtime. Yeah, and Cam Newton just, I think, put everybody's mind at ease when he just gave that shake, head shake of like, "It's gonna be all right, guys. Don't worry, I got this." You know, mm-hmm. and that was the one that that's the become first... the famous GIF, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Where he's like, like, yeah, the head nod. Yeah, right. and just basically like, all right, all just right, give me know, the hey, ball. Listen, we got this. Let's, yeah, we got that this. Was like yeah, fifty-five yard field goal too, wasn't it? That was yeah. a really long field goal to win that game. Yeah, it was. It was a. But, I mean, it wouldn't have happened if Cam Newton didn't get away from Jason Pierre-Paul right there at the, that last play that got him within field goal range. That was an incredible play that, that he could have easily just slid down and then just tried to – That uh, was December, you know, though, right? Third, yeah. Against the Giants. There's some other cool Ooh, games in that. there. Giants, Remember the – Giants week 15, yeah, it was in December, yeah. What about the Packers where he's throwing down the tab- – Aaron Rodgers throwing down the tablet? The frustrated yeah, Aaron Rodgers. Thomas yeah. Davis intercepts him. Yeah, because he threw an yeah. a, a interception to Thomas Davis, but he had a dude wide open in the end zone. That was when Cam missed him. 
Cam ripped down the Green Bay banner, remember? And they and the Panth and it threw it in the mm-hmm. trash because they had that, and then they made this big deal, and like the Panthers like paid the dude back who Cam ripped the flag out and put in the trash. Yeah, and then I remember like, do it again. Big deal out of that because they yeah. dude, dude had a Panthers banner, or no, the dude had a Packers banner in Panthers Stadium, and Cam Newton like when they were doing the right when the beginning, yeah. Yeah, dude, he just ripped that shit down. And by the way, he should have, man. You respect this house, okay? Right. We don't, you don't hang up banners. We should have never paid for that guy's banner back. Then no. uh, the next week had a similar story because the Panthers go to Tennessee. Cam Newton does a full-on fl- forward flip into the end uh, into the end zone. Remember, near landed it. I think he did. He may that have was, even. That was the Texans. Yeah, that was, that the, was Texans. the Texans. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was there for that one. I thought he did that against Tennessee too. But remember, he or something happened against the Tennessee. Tennessee game. He, was, he was dancing, and, he, and the Tennessee Titans and the mom and the yeah. mom got mad. The Tennessee, mom. the Tennessee mom, and then after the game, he was like, "Hey, if you don't want me to do it, don't let me in." Yeah. <laughs> Vintage Cam Newton. Man. And she wrote a letter. She wrote a letter to the editor. The one lady did of, Char- of the Charlotte Observer got a lot of play. So you're right. All right, this team is fun to watch. Cam is cocky. People are thinking. And really, to me, the statement game of the se- that said this team is for real. In that season, I mean, like, I mean, I think the Seahawks game is the most important, but Thanksgiving against Dallas versus the yes. Cowboys. Yep, yep. Finally, we win a primetime really game. Mm-hmm. Just so, be- and how about this? Do you remember? Okay, so what were we at that time? Like eight and oh, nine and oh? That was week so- twelve. So we were eleven and oh. Okay, we're yeah. we're eleven and oh. The the Cowboys had just gotten Tony Romo back because he had a, a collarbone injury. <laughs> so um, he rushed him back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They rushed him back. Which and by the way, he ended Thomas his was, career. That game Thomas, ended his career. Thomas Davis would re-snap that same collarbone in that Thanksgiving game. But how about this? The undefeated Panthers were an underdog on Thanksgiving Day to a, a Dallas team that had maybe won. Three or four games that all because year. Romo, all yeah, because but, of Romo, dude. Dude, Dallas always gets that that benefit of the doubt, man. Look at them this yeah. year; they were favored in every game they played this year, except for the Patriots game, and they're they're not even going to have a winning season. God, that season yeah. was so great. We beat the Falcons thirty-eight to nothing in Week fourteen, the first time at played home, them. Yeah, at home, at home, at well, home. Listen uh, to this, though, fellas. Listen to this. Cam Newton's stats, okay? Because I want to point out an interesting thing about these stats. 495 attempts, 296 completions, okay? That's a 59.8% completion rate. Not great. That's his MVP season. Uh, 3,837 yards, 35 passing touchdowns, 10 running touch- rushing touchdowns, 10 interceptions. He had 52 plays of 20-plus yards and 10 plays of 40-plus yards. Had a <laughs> 99.4 QBR rating for the entire year. Uh, ran for 636 yards, only had four fumbles, but he had three rushes over 20 yards and one rush over 40 yards. I of thought he had stats, 50 I, touchdowns that year. I thought he did too, but I was looking at the stats and it said he had 35 passing and fit 10 rushing. Yeah. I didn't mm-hmm. add it, but I thought he had 50 altogether. I don't know. Maybe I was wrong. But of all those stats that I just told you, the, the 99.4 QBR, 
and the uh, 35 passing touchdowns are the only career highs for him. Which means that even in this MVP season, if he can have everything clicking on all cylinders, he can be even better than this. Which we saw. These these weren't even his. Yeah. We saw that last year before he got hurt with his shoulder. I mean, we started, we saw him making, uh, yeah, it wasn't like explosive plays. He wasn't able to push the ball down the field even last year um, before the injury, but we started to see him really come on uh, strong and actually have career highs in a lot of those categories as far as completion and QBR and everything. Um, So, I mean, the thing is, is I personally look at Cam Newton as more than just a mobile quarterback. And I think that's the problem is a lot of people only are going to put that moniker on him when in all honesty, he has been, if you look at his numbers passing, I've said it before and I'll continue to preach this. He is on pace, if not to exceed, but to at least match most of the elite quarterbacks you would consider Hall of Fame quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Yeah. Just the reality of the situation. And mm-hmm. it, it, I'm with it, you it, 100%, really, CK. I think he's it, a it, good passer. It, well, he, he undoubtedly is. And one of the things I wanted to pinpoint, you know, Cam Newton was the first player drafted under the current CBA, which is now about to expire. And that was the first time. I mean, beforehand, you had Matthew Stafford, getting paid all the money in the world without ever having to play a snap of NFL football. Same with Sam Bradford. Jamarcus and Russell. Jamarcus, Jamarcus Russell is what broke the bank. So really, in my mind, Cam Newton and the Panthers have shown the example of what not to do when you have a quarterback on a rookie contract. Because when you're not paying that quarterback all the money in the world, and you don't have that huge cap hit, it's incumbent upon the team and your general manager to surround that said cheap quarterback with talent. And sadly enough, on offense, for the majority of Cam Newton's career, he's been having to make chicken salad out of chicken shit. I mean, you're talking about <laughs> you're talking about Calvin Benjamin, Devin Funches, two larger wide receivers that do not separate well. Um, 2017, we were injured. There was a bunch of no ones. You know where we so miscalculated on those big guys, too? Isn't just their inability to separate. Is that they didn't play to their size. Yeah. Well, you know what it was? That was the thing. Is you way. draft those big-ass guys, and you're like, Cam's going to run all the fuck over everybody. You know what I'm saying? And then you look at like Kelvin Benjamin and Devin Funches and they block like Steve Smith block harder. You know what I'm saying? My like play. Yeah. It was like they just oh, yeah. didn't have the meanness and the heart that matched their size. Well, you know what it was that made us think that that was going to work was uh, Julio Jones beating up on us. You know, the, Julio Jones. Well, he was fast. But he yeah, was fast. But- we had to find out the hard way. There's only one Julio Jones. Uh, I mean, the dude ran a 4-3 at 6-3, 220-something pounds. Julio was on another level of receiver. But if you look at that 2015 team and the names that Cam Newton was throwing to that oh, he won an MVP off the back of, mm-hmm. I mean, come on. It's not unreasonable to say that outside of two years of Steve Smith, that Greg Olson has been the number one receiving target for Cam Newton the well, entire time. Yeah, Christian McCaffrey. 
Uh, well, well, of that, that, of, that two, of that 2015 season, Greg Olson's the only receiver that had over a thousand yards. And he's yeah. I mean, the tight end. Okay, tight end. so the let's, one let's, thing let's, I let's, disagree let's, with the point that Cody's making, though, is that there is one other element, a factor that we're not really thinking of. And that is that 2015 was the only year that we had a respect, respectable offensive line. 2013, yeah. maybe. Trey Turner, Michael Orr, uh, Norwell, Khalil, and Rimmers. Yeah, Rimmers. So and they guys, stayed together yeah. the whole year and they stayed healthy. I think mm-hmm. that what, what I'm, my point to you, Cody, is this, is that you're saying, the the way that we did a disservice by not building around him and i think i'm ultimately agreeing with you but we could have just said if we would have built the offensive line for cam newton in this time he could have made guys like devin funches benjamin like fucking Corey brown all these dudes all the famers And, and and that's a part of my point is that it's not just the wide receivers but it's it's not protecting Cam Newton with the franchise left tackle uh, after Jordan Gross left. It's been a new left tackle literally every year going forward. Mike Rimmers, I, I still think, is the reason we lost the Super Bowl. Vaughn Miller just ate him alive, and uh, Mike Shula refused to put another tight end on him to help block. Uh, but yeah, and, and it, it kind of shaped my philosophy about how you build the trenches and. I have a, a huge premium on the interior of your offensive line and your defensive line. And if you look at that 2015, both of our guards and our center played incredible, man. Andrew Norwell, Trey Turner, they were awesome. And Cam Newton is a mobile enough quarterback that even if uh, an edge player got past Mike Rimmers or Michael Orr, he was able to extend the play. Well, Michael and, Orr and, was, and, and, was and good. Michael Orr yeah. was good that year, and Mike Rimmers uh, is was Mike Rimmers. He, Mike Rimmers plays great through week twelve, and then he hits a wall, and he progressively gets worse after that. But you're right, that interior. Look at Tom Brady. Have you ever seen Tom Brady on the turf as much as he has been this year? He lost uh, his left guard this year, left tackle this year, didn't he? And he's like, yeah, and they're coming up the middle. They're coming right. That mm. offensive line was much of the reason of 2015 success. And that's part of the reason. And this is the last thing I'll kind of harp about that. 2015 showed you, you know, a lot of people don't believe, you know, outside of Panther fandom that Cam Newton is an elite level quarterback. Well, 2015 is the perfect case study in how he is and, and those seasons going forward. Cam Newton elevated an offense to a level that would not have been achievable with any other quarterback. I mean, Matt Ryan was the MVP the very next year. Does anyone think if if you put Matt Ryan on the 2015 Carolina Panthers that he is anywhere near an MVP-level candidate? No, not at all. Not at all. Cam was all, a, Cam was amazing, and I was at that NFC Championship game. And look, we just everything clicked. Like CK said, is the defense was returning touchdowns, seven. You know, yeah, you know, all of this. Yeah. The offense was putting up big ass plays. Everything was going right, and I think that begins 
for um, our next topic. Any other thought? Oh, uh, what's most memorable game for the 2015 season? Each one of you. This is so important of a season. Oh. I think we each get to say the game. Okay. Mine is uh, going to be the me. NFC Championship. I was there. Okay. Uh, for me, for the 2015 season, I got to say the the Colts game because I was there <laughs> and, and it was it was uh, I got a BCK to it because I know he's going to say it. Uh, it was crazy, <laughs> man. It, uh, you know, I, me and my best friend were there with both of our wives, and both of our wives the entire time were just covered up with their ponchos or whatever they had, and uh, it just was pouring down rain. Game went to overtime. It was really fun to watch. You know, my friend's a Colts fan, I'm a Panthers fan, so it was a perfect game to go to. Um, that that one stands out of mind. Might be one of the most fun games I've ever been to. Panthers games, just in general, just because of the elements, the outcome, you know, everything that was going on. It was yeah. Just if you would have lost that game, the wetness wouldn't have felt so great, and the ride home would have been terrible. Yeah. Like my friend even told me he was so pissed in the ride home he didn't even want to talk, and I was like, yeah, I'm glad I wasn't that <laughs> feeling that. Yeah. So CK, yeah. what's your most memorable game? Man, um, out. You know, you, you have to look at everything. I lost you. Hold on. Um, <laughs> when you look at everything, it has to come back to that Seahawks game when people yeah, finally man. started taking us seriously. You know, it, it was. I remember what I remember most. After about a bye, season, we won. After a bye, who who the hell? We never won after buys. Yeah. Well, it was. What was. What was most memorable about that entire season there at the beginning is how often they made the list of undefeated teams and they'd always say, who's the pretender? Always. Every time they'd made the list about the undefeated teams, who is legit and who's the pretender? We were always on the top of the list of pretenders. Like mm-hmm. we were, we weren't good, a good team. We had no, we hadn't faced anybody. There was no evidence to show that we were going to be a good team. There was nothing to tell that we were a good team in the eyes of the analysts and the people, the talking heads, as if you will. Um, and that's that changed after the Seahawks game. Because the Seahawks, that was the year, what, they, they went to the Super Bowl in 2014. That was the Marshawn Lynch. <laughs> they ran it on the, they, they ran the, through the pass to Butler on the, on the yeah, one yard line, right? Yeah. So they were coming off of a Super Bowl run where they were they had a great defense. They still had it by that point. They had a a great quarterback in Russell Wilson. Uh, Marshawn Lynch was still there. Granted, he wasn't the same Marshawn Lynch that you know we you know loved but, before. And it was at their house. It was at and their it was house, at Seattle, right? which has always been somewhere that everybody says is the toughest place to play. So we went in and we did all of that and and we showed it wasn't a blowout win it was but it was the type of win you needed to prove that you were a contender because it was not a blowout if it was a blowout win they're just pointing to the Seattle Seahawks saying it was an off game for them right but the fact that it was a gritty win it came down to the wire and the Panthers were able to pull it out that is what I think defined that 2015 season was just grinding it out winning the close games unfortunately it was also the year that. Ron Rivera was no longer Riverboat Ron and not put, he just took the gas off of the, or the pedal off the, or foot off the pedal and stopped, you know, stopped playing there for uh, the final two quarters. But that was, that was the game. Stomp some teams. I think one thing too that when it comes to the 2015 season that I learned is that there's no reason 
to continue to say this team is due to lose, due to lose, due to lose. That's what I heard every t- week. That you know, yeah. it's like not only did you hear the worst undefeated team, it's like well they got to lose this week. They've lost. They've won ten in a row. So I've stopped looking at it that way. And I think I was kind of, I won't say I was part of that bunch that year because we were doing this show and banging around saying like, y'all got to respect us. We're fucking all y'all up, that kind of shit. (laughs) But at the same time, I did learn that like, it's, you don't play scared like that where a team's due to lose. We were due to win every week. It was just awesome. All right. So let's talk about, I didn't, I didn't do Oh, that's right. Go ahead. Go ahead. So listen, 2015 was so much about Cam Newton that uh, my my memory and my game is a it, it revolves around a single moment in a single game, and our only loss of the regular season. Mm, in, yes, in Atlanta, it's a third and eight, and Cam Newton snaps the ball, the pocket breaks down. And then the most beautiful mm, thing yeah. in the world yes. proceeds to happen. Cam Newton drags the entire <clears throat> defensive backfield and linebacking core of the Atlanta Falcons eight yards for a first down. Uh, a six foot five, two hundred and forty five pound machine. Named Cam Newton drug an entire football team for a first down. And that level of I'm never going to quit. I'm going to put my my team on my shoulders. That MVP dab on them. At, we haven't even mentioned the dab one time. Dude, that is the embodiment of Cam Newton. If Cam Newton never plays another snap, that will be the play that I remember from Cam Newton, and to me, that was an embodiment of that entire season. Cam Newton putting the football team on his shoulders and dragging us forward to where we needed to go, man. That is who Cam Newton is. And in that, that year, that's who he was. That play was uh, was phenomenal, and uh, we do need to keep pushing through. Actually, it was, he willed, it was like Cam Newton's will was bigger than anybody's. In that play, it was so incredible. Everything was incredible about this. But let's talk about we got to. I got to get out of here soon. The next part of the my thought is is the slogan "missed opportunities," and I think this starts at the same time we celebrated the 2015 season. The Super Bowl was the missed opportunity for the Carolina Panthers to hoist the Lombardi. You saw Mike Rimmers and Michael Orr on skates in that game. Jericho Cotri, it was a catch. The Panthers really legitimately had a shot at winning the 2015 or that Super Bowl, but it did not happen. So, guys, after that Super Bowl loss, uh, the Panthers did suffer what people call the Super Bowl hangover, but I believe they were in many ways victims of their own success. I think that Dave Gettleman believed that he knew it was smarter than everybody by that point. I think Ron Rivera believed that he was much of the reason that the Panthers had succeeded. And then uh, the missed opportunities happened in that offseason with uh, Josh Norman, the recension of the, what is it called, the franchise tag. 
And then, uh, which causes Dave Gettleman to go on tilt and have his worst draft potentially, where he had to, he drafted three cornerbacks in a row. James Bradbury is the only one that still matters in the league. And then the Panthers go on, uh, to, to have a tough season that was highlighted. It was the year of concussions, guys. 2016 was the year of the Cam got hit. It was Didn't the year that Cam the goal line. Yep, against it Atlanta. Close. Remember, he got his he got knocked out, but well, still got, got the touchdown. Got, well, that and the uh, the first game of the season against the Broncos too. They went. Oh after yeah, where they had all that those illegal hits. Yeah. That is when we made the "I Stand with Cam" T-shirts after that yeah. game right there, and Michael Orr went down for the entire season to concussion. You guys take over and talk about the missed opportunities. I gotta go. Uh, my back teeth are floating. So you know, if um, Tony and I were kind of talking a little bit before the show, and man, it, it, it was the year of the concussion, wasn't it? So let's count it through. Cam Newton gets obliterated on the uh, at the end zone in Atlanta, which, by the way, still made the touchdown. By mm-hmm. the way, just throwing that out there. Uh, <laughs> Michael Ward never played football again after uh, that week three game against the Minnesota Vikings, after which he sustained a concussion that he never came back from. And then, man, the most uh, visible concussion that I have ever seen in my entire life happened to a player and and, in the most most vivid way imaginable, man. Monday night football at home against the Saints. Uh, Luke Kickley just kind of, I believe it kind of ran into Thomas Davis's helmet a little bit. It, it was a weird play, but man, Luke was crying on national television, had the concussion, and I, I can't imagine having your brain just that rocked that you have no control over your emotions. Um, we're talking about Luke, I mean, a superhero, a dude that, you know, is the, the workhorse on on a violent defense otherwise. And man, it was just a tough time. That shook me to my core, man. Seeing Luke like that. That's how yeah, I felt I, about the Greg Olson hit. Yeah. 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 I, I didn't realize that the, uh, the, the loss of the control of emotions, like the uncontrollable crying sometimes was a yeah. side effect of a severe concussion. Yeah. And I, I, when I, I remember watching that and I was like, I, I don't know why he's crying. Like I, I wasn't like, trying to pick on it or anything about it, but I was like, it seems out of place, you know? And then I yeah. learned later that's one of the symptoms of, you know, a severe blow to the head is the loss of uh, emo- or electrolyte emotions. So you know he, he got it hard. Yeah, then, and, and you're right, talked. but that shook me. Yeah, yeah, players have talked before about being on the sideline, having to put towels on their head because they just can't control it. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a brain injury. It's, you know literally the most important organ in your body. Yeah. And um, and uh, that was kind of the start. Luke had a concussion that saw him sit three games in 2015 also. Oh, yes. But, but really, we didn't start to think of Luke as a concussion-prone player until that season and after. Because yeah, he mean, got two that, that season, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, after that, he started wearing that necklace thing uh, that swells your brain, so it makes it harder for your brain to move back and forth in your head. Um, really? Yeah. I, th- I yeah. thought that was his radio, like radio, so you could hear 
No, no, that's a brain that. collar. Oh, yeah. It's, it's to, a brain yeah, collar. Yeah. Yep. It's supposed to constrict the blood flow to your brain. I didn't know that. I thought that was like his Bluetooth, like radio to, to the defensive coordinator radio in place. No. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, and that that was the start of Luke being known as a as a concussion prone player. The uh, Greg thought that that was like that one thing that all the old black ladies wear. Like goes after your neck, you can plug into your ears. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's like super popular with like forty to sixty year old black women. Like that's their <laughs> their jam. But no, uh, you know, uh, I think Luke got one of those nasty concussions in week one of twenty fifteen. Yeah, yeah. Against Jacksonville, I feel like yeah. remember is that which yeah. one was him crying? Where yeah, it was, was like about 2016, Monday night football. Okay. Saints. Yeah. 2016. So, missed up. 2016 was a missed up. You know, I, I was thinking of what's your. So, is that your memorable game of 2016? Or is it the Kelvin Benjamin? What's your memorable game? No, or did I. It is. My family was over um, around the holidays for the Kansas City Chiefs game. And that was another game where we lost at the very end. Another one where Kelvin Benjamin gave up on a play. The defender came up to him. I think it was Eric Berry and just ripped the ball out of Kelvin Benjamin's hand and, and took it all the way back. Uh, we could have brought it to overtime, but if it wasn't for Kelvin Benjamin, again, um, we would have won that. And I, 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 we played well, but then it's just – the wheels fell off. Yeah, that's how I remember that season. I'm pretty sure we lost that specific game, like 24-21 or something like that, wasn't it? It wasn't a super high score, but I know that they didn't score an offensive touchdown. They beat us. And we scored 21 points at least, I'm pretty sure. And they didn't yeah. score an offensive touchdown. They beat us. Yeah. <clears throat> so Just terrible, yeah. man. Terrible. 2016, we lost by three points. We lost. All right, so in 2016, we lost to the Broncos by one. We stomped San Francisco. Game losing the field goal. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, which by the, that is the game that I that solidified my hate for Graham Cano. Uh, I agree, hundred percent. Graham that, that Cano game changed our season. You make that field goal, right. our season's different. You're right. Exactly. That is that Michael Orr did get hurt in that game, or maybe it was the actually it might have been the Vikings game that he really got hurt. That I think that truly altered the season. But you make that kick, and all of a sudden, Cam Newton is a mentally strong individual who has come back from the Super Bowl loss and has turned, look, leading his team ahead. He brought us down, marched down the field when they were blasting on him and teeing off. In the last seconds, Graham Gano misses that. You lose um, to the Vikings by 11, 12. The Falcons, we get, we beat, no, we lose to the Falcons, 48-33. We lose to the Buccaneers by three, the Saints by three, the um, Chiefs by three. All winnable The games. Saints by three, the Raiders by three. Mm -hmm. The Raiders <laughs> was when Cam Newton threw, I think he threw a pick six, and that was like... Um, that was, the, that was the 
So Derek Carr was actually considered as uh, as an MVP candidate in that year, yeah. and he went out with a broken finger, and we yeah. just destroyed them. He came, Derek Carr came back in, and added a extra tick to his MVP season or his MVP resume that year because he You're came exactly back right. in with an incredible comeback game against us, and Khalil Mack just dominated there at the end too. Yeah, he does. A lot of uh, so that's where I think. Oh, and the Panthers lost on the final game of the year by one. So I think that year is probably where the missed opportunities slogan emerged. And 2016, also I hate about that year. If 2015 taught me anything, it was don't doubt a team just because they're winning. 2016 ticked me off because I think that the Super Bowl curse is hangover is bullshit. I think we just beat ourselves so much in that year. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's a lot about what the curse is. Maybe. It's, it's hard to overcome that. It's not a matter of curse. It's just a matter of men, the mental stability of the team coming into a game like that to have it so close and then just to have it ripped from you like it was. Like that's almost where the 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 hangover is it's not necessarily in the in the gods the football gods not looking you know favorably on us it's that you know we we got there and we weren't able to pull it through and it's just so hard to even get to that game to get there and not pull it out that is the the part of it that that I think is hard for these players to get over and that's why what you I, see these slumps what I hate about that though is that is I do believe that. You know how you hear people say that every game is the same, counts the same, like because there's mm-hmm. 16 games, or you know this little loss in week one. I don't believe that. I think yes, that certain well. games matter more, and mm-hmm. I think that Greg is 100 percent right when he says if we beat the Broncos, that's a different season. It's almost like saying, well, like, okay, well, if you lost in week one, that's the same as losing in week 15 when you could have secured a playoff berth. It's not the same. No. No, it's it's no, it's not the same. And I, I do kind of, um, you know, another thing to mention about that 2016 injury, and I think this also plays into the Super Bowl hangover curse, if you will. We were so injured that year, man. Everyone got hurt or was hurt. Cam was hurt for a time. Luke was hurt. Our entire offensive line was banged up and, and hurt. Yeah. And uh, yeah, man, when you when your team just falls away one by one by one, it's, it's hard to get into that rhythm. And uh, yeah, it was one of the most frustrating years of football that I can never remember. Although these past <laughs> Two years in a row. Of being, right, uh, right. Yeah, that makes bad, that yeah. seem like a, a season that was awesome <laughs> after this well, year. I think that overall there were three things that made a huge difference during the 2015-16 season. And like y'all were saying, one is injuries. 2015, we were very fortunate. Minus the Kelvin Benjamin injury, we didn't have a lot of injuries to key players. Yeah. We kept a healthy squad that, that I got to play together and gel together. Well, you know what? Um, one other thing, too, though, Greg, sorry to interrupt on that, but one thing that we mentioned, failed to mention in the 2015 season was the addition of some important pieces when those injuries did occur, 
we had Peanut Tillman in 2015. Right. We had Jericho Cotri in 2015, and Jared Allen. Remember Jared bringing Allen. in Jared Allen when we knew the mm-hmm. pass rush wasn't going to work. We brought him in. Now, go, go ahead and continue. Sorry for interrupting. Well, I'll, I'll say Kurt Coleman was a good one to bring in, too. He had seven picks. Yes, yes, yeah. we got to bring in. Uh, but one, I think it was the injuries, too. Uh, where we won all the close games in 2015, we lost them all in 2016. Yep. I mean, you just named off, I think, seven games we lost by three or less points that if that goes the other way, you're looking at a 13-3 season as opposed to where, where we finished at. And then, uh, two, is, uh, the defense took a big step down. Uh we had 50 total turnovers. If you count the playoffs, 50 total turnovers forced by the defense in 2015. That's an insane number of turnovers. Insane. Did yeah, not get that. That, that defense you know? was was opportunistic. Big shout out to Tree 50. Bro, thanks for supporting the show and being part of it. Uh, I want to ask you guys this, though, in thinking of 2016 and those close games and the injuries. We've been talking about it in the context of mixed opportunities. What is your thoughts when you think of mixed opportunities in the decade behind us? Mixed opportunity? M- missed opportunity. Missed okay. opportunity, excuse me. Okay. Um, you know, the decade behind us, missed opportunities. It has become, if anything... Ron Rivera's moniker should have not been Riverboat Ron. I agree with CK on that 100%. In fact, you knew it was all bullshit when he took, when he started to embrace the nickname and he still wasn't Riverboat Ron. And the fact that you can go onto the Carolina Panthers podcast network and the name of his podcast was the Riverboat Ron podcast was just such bullshit. But missed opportunities was the true story of this decade when it comes to Ron Rivera. Cody, your mic is muted, so in case you are trying to chalk, you're going to have to change it. What is no, your, what what are your thoughts on missed opportunities in the context of the decade? Well, kind of harkening back to Dave Gettleman, um, I believe that uh, unlike Dave that the Super Bowl window is a very real thing. When you have a roster with certain players that you know are guys that you can win football games with on offense and defense, you have a certain window in time when they're on your roster, they're at an affordable price, and they're all playing at the same time. And you only get a few years to have those players before you have to rebuild and and do it all over again and try and reinvigorate the team with um, with new players. And the fact of the matter is that Dave Gettleman, the transition from Herney to Gettleman, from Gettleman to Herney, left us in a position where we were never able to capitalize on a window of time when we had all-time great Panther talent. And we just weren't able to use that and, and capitalize on it to effectiveness. Um, you know, we don't know how much longer Luke Kickley has left. We've been speculating about Cam Newton now. Uh, Greg Olson's gone after this year. No more Julius Peppers. No more Ryan Khalil. No more Thomas Davis. No more Jonathan Stewart. I mean, we, we missed a, a moment in time that, that would have had the Panthers being the most, one of the most dominant teams in the NFC year in and year out. 
And because of the mismanagement in front office, the Panthers are not that. And in my mind, that is the biggest missed opportunity of all throughout the entire decade. Perfectly said. Thank you. I, I agree with you 100%. Perfectly said. It's a, it's a great. Um, yeah, I guess if I could add on to anything of that, I would just guess it would just be the, the missed uh, draft picks. I know I was defending earlier some of the draft picks, but I always kind of try to play devil's advocate for a better discussion. Uh, overall, we've had some really good draft picks, but we've missed on a lot more. We haven't had a solid season of, 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 you know, three, four, five contributors to the team. It's usually we get one guy out of the draft and that's about it. And, you know, nobody else survives. Um, I think that's been a missed opportunity. And that goes back to what you were saying of going back and forth with, you know, Gettleman and Herney. And, and it's just non-consistency of the team. And uh, you've got to have that consistency in there. The, the best storied franchises, the ones that have continued success, are the ones that have continuity with their um, hirings and, and their, and their uh, you know, people making these decisions. And we just haven't had that. And that's probably, I, I don't think Jerry Richardson paid much attention to the team at all. I think he just owned the team, messed with the women, and collected the money. We truly <laughs> messed with the women. Oh, we did money. forget. We <laughs> did forget to talk about a lot of Jerry Richardson stuff. And we will get a little bit into that. But. Yeah, is I think too Jerry Richardson. The problem with Jerry Richardson is he thinks of football probably and the way he played it, you know. Yeah. And that is like again, we didn't we only interviewed defensive coaches in 2011. But continuing on with the missed opportunities concept here, before we get into collapse and changing of administration, CK, what are your thoughts of the context of missed opportunities? Well, uh, you know, so there was three winning seasons out of nine for Ron Rivera. Um, the missed two opportunity one coach of the year, right? Sorry, two of those, the year, two, two of the two of the three, um, he won coach of the year. Um, Twenty seventeen, when we went to the playoffs with the winning season, uh, that was that was the other that was the only other season that he didn't win coach of the year. Um, the problem, if you look at the, the tenure of Ron Rivera as a defensive minded coach, I mentioned this earlier, he started out, obviously we were a decent defense. He built that defense up and it got to a really good point. And I think it really peaked around the 2013, 2014, and it just continued to have some bit of a stable, you know, position in 2015 and it started to go downhill. Um, after that. Is that because uh, of Sean McDermott's exodus? I personally feel that way, but you know, nonetheless, yeah, I think that's realistic. I think it's a, a realistic conversation to have, a rational. Yeah. Oh, one. I, I, I think it is. But you also got to think about, you know, Sean McDermott was there in 2016 as well. You know, so I mean, I, I, I personally made that same connection. But then well, we he was also there in 2012 when Joey wanted him fired in 2012. Yeah, uh, because of Sean. But is that there? You're what? right. But when it comes to Sean McDermott, the one is one caveat is is that Ron Rivera has not been good either since he's left. Yeah. Like the defense hasn't been. It's been terrible since Sean McDermott's exodus. Exactly. So Ron Rivera wasn't exactly. propping up Sean McDermott. 
Yeah. Well, and and so where the, the in in the grand scheme of things, when we think about missed opportunities, I think there's plenty of missed opportunities. You look at a blueprint of most championship teams. It is you know the people that win these championship, you know, win the Lombardi nine times out of ten, don't they don't have incredible running backs. They don't have to pay their star receivers and things like it's it's a team that has been built around a you know the core which is the offensive line you look at dallas back when demarco murray you know uh, got that rushing you know record that he got what i guess 2013 24 somewhere in that ballpark yeah it's like 2016 so goodness i didn't realize that that recent but you know he, he got that title not because he's a great running back he's a decent running back it's because they had a great offensive line. So I think in, in is as you know, I think it's going to be an echo that we all feel this way is that the fact that we did not utilize our weapons effectively when when they were just at the height of their careers, that is the biggest missed opportunity. I think the lack of consistency with Ron Rivera and the fact that he wasn't able to maintain or evolve into this new NFL world that we live in is the reason that you're seeing his 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 demise, I guess, is the best way to put it. it, it that's, that's the biggest missed opportunity is the failure to adjust to the way things are being, uh, you know, kind of evolved over the past 10 years. And it worked well at the first half of the decade, but since then he's just not been able to put two pieces together. All right, shout out to Susan Deans for uh, Mama, the Dan Mama, keeping us all in line. Thank you for your Christmas present, $15.00 to the C3 Panthers podcast. I want to piggyback off a of CK's statement when it comes to missed opportunities and not only piggyback, but all, like also contradicted in a way, but at the same time supported. And that is the missed opportunity. I don't think that it was Ron Rivera necessarily not evolving to the, to the current game. I think that we continue to see this is that, we just let, we just relied on Cam so much. And it was like this. It's like, we don't need an offensive line. We've got Cam. We don't need receivers. We've got Cam. I almost think of it as like all of us with our wives. Is that all of us have better looking wives on this podcast than we look. Right. Is that everybody, I love this about the group of podcasters <laughs> here is that all of us have married up. But in, yeah. yeah, exactly. But what hey, I feel my like my right hand, I'm just saying, yeah, you're like, your yeah, wife, a nice looking right hand. Yeah. yeah I got sexy right hand. But the, the idea is this is that just because you marry up a IE cam, does it mean you have to let yourself go? <laughs> there you go. Great, right? Is yeah. uh, like, oh, I got the hottest, but you know, I married up. My wife is hot. Now I don't have, now I can only wear adjustable, like stretchy pants. No. <laughs> and I think we wore stretchy pants with Cam when it comes to Cam. And it's like, hey, is that he spoiled us? And then you go, oh, well, we got this defensive coach, so let's give the defensive coach tools. No. If you have an offensive coach, he should be able to do offensive magic 
without great offensive players. If you have a defensive coach, he should be able to give him a couple of good defensive players and a lot of average ones, and he's going to make them great. Yeah. The problem is, as we said, we had Cam. And Cam covers all warts. He's like makeup on all of it. And I, and this is where I'm agreeing with CK is that ultimately the offensive line and the inability to create one that was dominant and could be dominant for more than a moment is the greatest missed opportunity of the decade. Because you had a quarterback you could have run behind. Look at what they're doing in Baltimore right now. We could have done that. We could have done that in year one, two, three, and four of Cam. And then four, five, and six, if you have a big offensive line, we could have seen Cam develop as a quarterback more. Set, you know, and, and that's the missed opportunity. The missed opportunity is we had a hot girlfriend. And we decided to take her to the party in our pajamas. Yeah. And can I just, you know, bring a point home here? I mean, what have we all kind of been saying? Look how bad the Panthers have drafted and how badly they've been managed. Mm-hmm. Going into this next decade, it is absolutely pivotal that whoever David Tepper hires to be the next general manager of the Carolina Panthers he absolutely has to hit on this pick. He absolutely has to. And one of the things that, you know, uh, you know, so you mentioned the Baltimore Ravens. Most people don't realize that the Baltimore Ravens didn't even pick Lamar Jackson first in that draft class. No, they, they picked, picked that they, tight yeah, end. They picked right? Hayden Hurst, the tight end out of South Carolina. Which you, you loved but, him too. But Ozzie Newsome, Ozzie Newsome, is the kind of general manager that knows how to draft. He knows what players to take, when when to wait to draft a player. Uh, The Baltimore Ravens have consistently had one of the better offensive lines and defensive lines in all of football. And even Joe Flacco got him a Super Bowl. Now, but you see what happens when you put a dynamic quarterback on that football team, and now the Ravens are rolling. It is absolutely well, but last year he couldn't even complete seven passes. But they're having a magical season like us right now. Yeah, but here's the thing. Here's the part that I think not be like if we're going to talk about the Ravens, the Ravens have been absolutely geniuses with their offense. They have created an offense that does not have a single play in the playbook that is a weakness of Lamar Jackson. Right. Every play that they run. He is able to run. They don't have a play in that playbook. Would you have is, said that uh, us about uh, that about us in 2015? Though? No, okay. I th- they, I don't. They, okay, they consulted I, I, his college coach to to find out what he did best, and 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 talk to him to build that. To, you're, I'm sorry, I mean to build that. What they're talking about, CK, but you're absolutely right. Go ahead, keep going. What you're saying, but I was I was simply going to put put the fact that we have not had a coaching staff that has made a, a concerted effort. It, 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 the coaching staff almost feels lazy that we've had over the past 10 yeah, years. Yeah, because of Cam. Yeah, they, they, you know, as you've said, they felt like they've had somebody who can carry the team, so they don't really need to worry about the offense, so they just need to focus on the defense. Well, yeah. when Cam started to get hurt, and now the focus on the offense started to come, 
Well, that's why you were. That's why you were suspicious of that Christian McCaffrey pick when we were talking about it because it just felt like it was like, oh, well, we haven't done this, so we got to do this. Yeah, it just felt forced. I mean, I'm glad that we. I agree 100. percent It doesn't. It didn't feel like it was a, a the what they wanted to do. Like I don't think that. When they, when uh, David Gettleman went to bed that night, he was like, "I really want Christian McCaffrey." Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, we wanted like David Derek Gettleman's Barnett, and that's who I kind of wanted. I could have, we could have used a defensive end like crazy that year. Derek Barnett, Josh yeah. Allen, pick the name. Yeah, and so that kind of harkens back to what I uh, what I was saying earlier, and it's that. Cam Newton and the Carolina Panthers in the first year of this CBA have shown what you do not do with a quarterback on a number of different fronts. And CK makes a fantastic point. So, for example, okay, we're talking about other teams. Look at what Patrick Mahomes has right now. No one, everybody knows that Patrick Mahomes is an incredibly talented young quarterback and the future of the NFL. You want a Patrick Mahomes on your football team, but they have built an offense around him where they are not reliant on Patrick Mahomes to make these ridiculous throws all the time. If you have a first-round quarterback, a franchise player, you don't want to have to depend on them down in and down out to be the, the best thing on your offense, the best thing on your team. You have to help your quarterback. You have to protect him. You have to put weapons on the exterior. He has to have receivers that separate and Cam Newton hasn't had that. So, you know, I don't mean to jump ahead or put a bow tie on anything, but that's why going into this next decade, I'm so hoping that Cam Newton stays the quarterback of the Carolina Panthers and that we have a general manager that decides to use the final years of his career by putting talent around him and, and letting Cam Newton play the best football of his career because it is still out in front of him. Yeah. It, it's going to take a team to believe in him and build around him. Where we missed entirely with all of it, though, was as you saw how we knew that the defensive tackle was an issue. And we drafted, like Cody said, in 2010, we put into – we got 2012 – we drafted so many defensive tackles, but if you went back and looked through that list, is we never prioritized the offensive side of the line no. the same way. And so when you think of the old Dave Gettleman moniker of hog mollies, he didn't. This is where Dave Gettleman is, turns out to be a bad drafter and a bad GM. He didn't listen to his own advice. You mentioned it before earlier, Cody, with don't, you know, don't go shopping hungry. Yeah. He only looked at hog mollies on one side. And I do think if you look at all those draft picks that missed is be wary of taking offensive linemen from small schools. Yeah. Like the Valdosta States, the, no, I'm sorry. Is that you need to be wary of that. Yeah. yeah, and and don't take them too high. All right, so we've had missed opportunities in this decade. I think the final topic of the show 
when it comes to decade in review should be collapse. And I know Cody said to me, he said that's too tough before the show. You're going to end with collapse. Because we are, we're trying to be a therapy session here. But the past three years have been a story of collapse. Like a species going extinct, almost. Like, we have extinguished people's understanding of Cam Newton. That's how bad the past three years have been. Is that we have forgotten what Cam Newton is and is and can be. But over the last several years, the Panthers have stopped doing what kept Ron Rivera his job, which was finishing strong, having a good defensive team. When did the collapse start? Not the exact play. I know Cody's going to harken back to the play of Kelvin Benjamin. But ultimately, when was the organizational collapse? Was it at that moment? Is that how dependent we are on Cam? When did you see? Or do you disagree that the end of the era is not collapse? I have to disagree. And I I really do because the the way I look at it, okay, 2011 through 2014 is Cam Newton's building years. He's becoming the best player he can be. 2015 is an MVP, okay? 16 is a downward slump. 17, he comes back. It's not that great of a year, but it wasn't a terrible year. And uh, he was injury prone, as a matter of fact, in 17. That was when he had the shoulder surgery, right? That was the first year coming back. And uh, then 18, he was 6-2 and two and an MVP candidate before he got injured. So I don't think we've had a total collapse. I don't think we've had uh, more than a season What team are and you watching, Greg? We've lost life for seven years. I'm, oh I'm telling you. 2015 no, feels like a decade ago. It does, but it was only four years ago. Mm. It really does. And you what think about that. that we have you? one We have one year after that that, 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 is, that was just a down season. One year after that, marred by injury with Cam Newton. The next year, Cam Newton's playing like an MVP candidate. We're 6-2. and two. I mean, we're a great team. And Cam Newton gets injured, and since then, it's been a downward spiral. I wouldn't say it's been a collapse. Cam Newton comes back next year and they say he's fully healthy. And we end up like being... Oh, no. Don't get to go next year. You can't say it's a not a collapse and talk about okay, it next so year. Okay, so maybe this year was a collapse, but look look what happened, man. You had Cam Newton take it out in the beginning look of the season. Look at last like said, year. All right. Well, last year after he got injured. Before he got injured, we were the second best team in the NFL. And to be fair, injured. and and, yeah. and for Greg's point, even with, with that injury... We didn't lose by more than a touchdown on most right. of those games outside of Pittsburgh. Right. You know, we had those games go our way. We were looking at a totally different story here. A lot of them were just very close games that we weren't able to pull out, which is basically the exact same situation at the beginning of Ron Rivera's tenure with the organization. It was a lot of close games that we weren't able to to win. So I collapse is a tough word. Right. I, our defense absolutely has collapsed. I'd say decline, Absolutely. not collapse. I, I, I I'm would seeing an F defense. I would say, so this is what, I, what I'll kind of say. It's absolutely the end of an era here in Carolina. But it doesn't have to be all bad. It just means that going into this next era, we are at a pivotal moment in time. Kind of like how we were saying earlier. Imagine if we didn't draft Cam Newton in 2011 and how that completely changes the trajectory <laughs> of this football team. Well, this decade has now come around full circle. 
because the next few months are going to be the most, in my opinion, the most important months in the entire history of the Carolina Panthers from their inception to now. We have to nail the head coaching hire. We absolutely have to nail this next general manager, which, by the way, this is going to be our next general manager, even if they come in with the assistant GM title. Yeah, that's your exactly right. The the general manager is the guy that David Tepper is about to bring in. So it is absolutely imperative that we hit on the coach, that we get a competent, really good talent evaluating general manager, and we have to have the quarterback, man. We have to have the quarterback. And I still believe in Cam Newton. I still believe that Cam Newton can be the quarterback of the future and that his best football is out in front of him. I still believe that. I I believe that with every fiber of my being. I'm not giving up on Cam Newton. And um, it is at this this coach and the, the next general manager, it is absolutely imperative that David Tepper makes the right decision the reason i use the word collapse it's actually a reference to a book uh, by jared diamond who's an anthropologist he's like one of the most influential anthropologists in the world but his book was interested in certain civilizations that just basically went extinct and um that's where the collapse of civilization and where i'm add on this is I look back at the last couple of seasons and last year we what we finished with a nine game losing streak we're on a seven game losing streak right now we don't know we haven't seen it it feels like ages since we've seen Cam Newton play we don't have a head coach so yeah is that maybe we can find a little bit of life under Cam Newton if he comes back and he's healthy, which I do believe that can and truly that truly will and can happen. But at the same time, the there is a certain collapse to the decade because none of us feel. Has there been any season in the last decade that has felt worse than this one? No. And I am with you. That's why I call it a collapse. So that exact resounding no. I would, I would call it a collapse, too. But in my opinion, th- this is the same season, dude. 2018 and 2019, they, they're so mirror Just, images yeah. of, yeah, uh, of one another, man. It's like, I don't, I, I am, from now on going forward, I'm going to look at these two seasons that we've just had basically as one season. I mean, that's how I view it in my head. It's them lumped together because it's the same narrative. It's an injured Cam Newton uh, that, that's trying to make the best of a brand-new North Turner offense, an offense that wanted to see uh, the mixture of Cam Newton, Christian McCaffrey, Curtis Samuel, DJ Moore. And we've had such high hopes in both of these seasons only for the really the same exact issue to derail the whole thing. Well, two issues. One, the health of Cam Newton, an uncertain quarterback play. And number two, an, an uncharacteristically soft Ron Rivera defense. Can and I add one more um, element into the collapse equation? We yeah. we had the team. We, so, we haven't even talked about this. 
Our owner sold our team. I, what did I write it down as? I wanted to say, oh, I wanted to Nate and to label the last section, not collapse, scandal, shame, and new owner. We have had the transition. We went from a team that was supposed to be built on this moral supremacy to f- learning that we were an organization in the dark ages where men still squeeze people's butts on Fridays at Denny's and refuse to sit black people like Jerry Richardson's company did. My point is this, is like, how can you even defend against collapse when we don't know who our quarterback, like we're wondering about Cam Newton. We don't have a head coach or a GM. And on top of that, we got a new fucking owner. Like it's just crazy, and that Collapse the fact just feels so final, right? Well, yep. it's, it's lipstick on a pig, you know. That's what I'm trying to do. It right? doesn't. Does it even yeah. like? Does the Tepper Jerry Richardson transition that it's like the 17th story in the show? Does that make like? Does that make you guys wonder? Is is Tepper that big of a change for the Carolina Panthers? I think he is. I believe I so. Huge change. Yeah, yeah huge. I, Good. I, okay. I, I, I think so. I agree, too. I, I just think that, especially now that... Why are we not talking about it till now, then? Well, because really, though, I mean, if we're going to do a decade recap, then we're talking about Jerry Richardson's football team. Right. Yeah. 80% we're of the time. Yeah, whereas going into this next, this next season, this is now David Tepper's team. And really, these past two years, I mean, we've gotten to know the man and who he is and some of his philosophies on things. But I still say we have not seen what kind of big-time decisions David Tepper is going to make with this football team. We haven't seen what kind of coach he's going to hire, what kind of um, general manager he's going to hire. The The jury is still out on David Tepper yep. and who he is as an owner. But if we're yep. talking about the previous decade, then, yeah, you're talking about – uh, Jerry Richardson groping women, um, uh, giving lists to them, check off if I'm your boyfriend or your friend. Dude, just creepy old perverted shit, man. And it's not a good look for the Panthers, especially after the whole Me Too movement went down. And um, I, I think <laughs> it was um, it was necessary. But David Tepper, or not David Tepper, Jerry Richardson will always have that statue. Out in front of the stadium. I feel like that is his big, like he's got the biggest D ever because of something like that. Like, imagine that. His requirement in selling the team is a gift. That's when we all, I always knew that the Jerry Richardson worship was fucking fraudulent. I knew something was something weird with it the whole time. Everybody's like, we're trying to build this. They don't fit on our team. They don't bullshit. That gift, it was not a gift to him. He shank, he sanctioned that fucking statue. Shout That's out to Trill believe. One. Shout out to Trill One who says, I'm sorry. But you could have just looked at Richardson and tell he was like that. <laughs> and yeah, that's uh that's a no statement right right there. I think. I'm pretty sure when I, when you when you look at Jerry Richardson, you've got to assume that he's into pegging. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah. 
That yeah. is even worse. Is this statue? You're still out front. Yeah. Oh, it's still. Yeah. Out front. It was, I, and it's part of the city. contract. Yeah, it was a part uh, of the stipulation, but the team was sold. Yeah, they got to build a new stadium. Statue down. So if they build a new stadium, they've got to put that statue up somewhere? No, no. We don't know that yet. We don't know that. All right, so um, collapse, new ownership. All right, new opportunities ahead for this team. Guys, we've got a lot to talk about in the future weeks coming ahead, and some of that's going to be the head coaching, the GM selection, a lot of news coming. But now that you look back, let's not look ahead and get drug out into the weeds of that conversation. Overall, final thoughts on the decade when it comes to the Carolina Panthers. I, I'll put in my two cents. I think there was a uh, an opening ceremony of uncertainty going into 2010. Um, we didn't have a franchise quarterback. We knew going into that season that it wasn't necessarily going to be a season that was going to be for the decades uh, outside of what it produced for us, which was Cam Newton. Cam Newton has been the single bright spot um, uh, amongst a lot of really decent uh, – you know, I won't say single bright spot, but he has been basically the North star of this team for almost this entire decade. And so the, and, and to bring it back to this, and this is where I kind of get into my feels a little bit is I see a Panthers fan base who is standing up for what they want from this team. I have like, I, I don't know. It, forgive me if I, if I miss it, but I've never seen another fan base go to the extent that we've gone to to show a, a player, a team, what a player has meant to the city, to the team, to us as fans, yeah. by going and getting a billboard, by pushing to have him be Walter Payton Man of the Year as, mu- as much as we've pushed him. We haven't seen him place. play in a year, basically, and, and he's winning. And we, Walter, Not winning, but currently ahead in, when it comes to that, Walter Payton Man. And it's not necessarily the actual award that he's ahead in. It's basically the donation to his foundation. That's really what it is. But oh, I thought it, it was Twitter mentions. No, yeah, well, that, that's fan, fan votes. Yeah, fan votes for and that's uh, this doesn't actually win the Walter Payton Man of the Year. Right. This just gets him like ten thousand dollar don or twenty five thousand dollar donation to his actual. What charity. tell us what so, does win the? Ma- can you tell us what does win it? Voted on by the players, right? By the yeah. former former members or winners, I, I, something like that. It's not. Yeah. It's not anything that we can control. But what oh. what I mainly focus on is David Tepper is a smart businessman. He has seen what our stadium has been like without Cam Newton being in there. He sees what the ticket sales look like. He sees what the you know the fact that we do not have home field advantage when Cam Newton is not on the field. Period. Hands down, it is not there. Cam Newton gets this fan base excited. Cam Newton does so much for this organization. I think David Tepper will see that, and I think that means that there's a lot of optimism for the next decade because I personally believe if you want to let Cam Newton go after nine seasons um, of doing you know, yeah, a lot of really good dumb, things, dumb. think about this. If you Look did that exact same San thing San Diego has done for – yeah. Well, San Diego did do Drew Brees. Yeah, they got rid of him when he had shoulder surgery. What they have, or what they have done for Rivers, 
No, yeah. let's take out let's take out even that. Let's go as far as even into New Orleans. He came into New Orleans and he had two mediocre seasons. If right. they and, were and shoulder surgery, yeah, yeah, and that he was that was and in his ninth season, if they had cut him by that point, what would have happened? They would not have won the Super Bowl. They won in two thousand and nine. Mm-hmm. So, in, and now think about that. It's been ten years of just Drew Brees destroying human beings, being an elite quarterback. Are you really ready to give up on Cam Newton when there is a possibility of 10 more years of fantastic quarterback play? I'm not. I am not either. Amen to you, brother. Amen. All right, who else has got something to say? Uh, What were we talking about uh, again? I forgot what we were even talking about. You just wanted to say final words on the decade. Oh, yeah, final words on the deck. Uh, uh, I got a sec. Yeah, you know, kind of uh, say oh, what uh, DK had to say there. Kind of echo that. Um, and I think I said it before. Cam Newton is the reason for everything great that's happened in this franchise in the last decade. Although he's had some down times and he's had some moments where he hadn't been the best player, uh, he he's taken a lot more scrutiny than a lot of other players would for some reason, and I can't seem to figure out why because. Is there a player more scrutinized or disliked by his own fan base? And he's our best, arguably, he's our best player we've ever had. And Cody, you put this out before. Is there a guy more disrespected in the history of the league? I I, I think we got to make it an A or B question um, or whatever, multiple question. Is that I think our fans have underestimated his value, undervalued him. And on top of that, I get so infuriated that he's not even being mentioned as the guy that paved the way for Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson. Well, and, and to add to that, man, like it, it blows my mind that when Cam Newton runs for 14 rushing touchdowns his rookie season and, and 700 and something yards. He, he gets the moniker of, well, if he would stop trying to be a running back and be a quarterback, he might be a decent player. And then Lamar Jackson is praised for yeah. being able to rush for as many yards as he has. And, and, and that is the foundation I think Cam Newton, Cam Newton laid down. Even That's though Michael exactly Vick came right. before that and he rushed, I, I just don't understand why there's that different bias. It's just like, uh, you know. Cam is the quarterback that these guys model. Right. I mean, they they were probably so. What Lamar Jackson is what seven eight years behind Cam Newton, which means Lamar Jackson was in middle school. He was watching when Cam him. Newton exactly. got drafted. Yeah. yeah, when Cam Newton got drafted, he was in middle school, about to go into high school. So you're right; he probably saw Cam Newton and modeled his game after that. I can do that too, type thing. And for some reason, they weren't he's watching Mike for it. Vick. They weren't watching. Well, I'm 38. And I Mike, was watching Mike Vick. Mike right. Vick wasn't a role model. Right, sure. Mike Vick was not a role model. He was not a not, he not was then. not a he philanthropist. He, he, well, was, he yeah, was he, he until is. he wasn't. Yeah, w- but what I mean is, like, he was not somebody that kids looked up to beyond just the football play. Cam right. Newton has has shown that he is a human being that is uh, that is unmatched with his willingness to give and contribute to society. Um, you know, and 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 how he's just a good human being. And a lot of people just refuse to see that. And that's what's so frustrating about it is everybody that has told me, you know, we were in that Uber ride, Tony, and that oh Uber said, God. you know, if Cam Newton would fix his attitude. Well, the problem I have with that statement, and I know we're getting off on a tangent, and I promise I'll end it after this statement, 
Cam Newton is playing football like every other football player in the history of football is playing it outside of what people expect a quarterback to do. He is playing it just like a defensive end. He's playing it like a running back. He's playing it like a receiver. He's playing it like a cornerback. He is, he's having energy. Just because he's not a, a bottled-up white guy who's Peyton Manning who doesn't actually have any emotion beyond just a fist pump does not mean that he needs to fix his attitude. If anything, he is doing everything he can to get a fan base that is considered small market to be actually relevant in this world. Yeah. Well, I think that goes back to the Super Bowl thing, the walking away from the stadium. That was the biggest stage that if you're not an avid Carolina Panthers fan, you don't see Cam Newton all the time. So when you saw him then do that, oh, he's labeled that. It didn't bother that, me one bit. Well, it didn't you bother me either. That's but, the worst but, but, but part I, is that that shit didn't bother me at all. Well, it, it just it, fueled it the fire. It didn't bother me, but I can see people's argument with that. But I'll tell you what, that was four years ago. Look at him now. It's it's different since then. Oh, you can't yeah. judge a guy off He's one been immediately after He's losing evolved. the Super Bowl. You can't judge a guy off that. You know? Do you guys remember the, the the conversations that were created after the towel? Oh, oh Cam God. Newton needs to be a leader. He needs to be able to – how many of the players do that every game now? Every single quarterback goes back, puts his head down, doesn't roll up. Like I see I see Patrick Mahomes. I see every single person who's having a bad game just go back, put a towel over their head, or just put their head down into their tablet and Cam stop. Not, Dylan, I want to yeah. get scrutinized for it. Yeah, yeah exactly. It bugs my me. Overall, my overall thought on the decade is this is that it was a great decade for the Panthers. I know we didn't we didn't get the Super Bowl, but I have started to feel in the last two seasons a feeling I have not felt the entire decade. And yeah. that I'm worried about hopelessness. You know what I'm saying? It's like you pull Cam away from this team and I'm worried about like how I'm going to do this fucking podcast in the future. The last deck. I mean, think about this is since 2013, we've been doing this podcast and cams made it easy. Cam makes it easy for me, man. He made He made, And that's what I love about this decade is it's been easy being a Panthers fan for me. I always felt like we had the opportunity to win. I always feel like we have an opportunity to win. Now we're all scrutinizing every detail. I'm worried by my own fandom if I got to be a Jets fan or if I got to be a fucking Browns fan. So mm-hmm. to me, this was a great decade. It's a great decade yeah. for Carolina Panthers football, yeah, even yeah. though I'm disappointed about the missed opportunities. It was uh, a decade that personally reinvigorated my love of football. I've always been a fan of football, but I've never loved football. I never loved football until I'm sitting on a cat's bus one day and the driver has the radio station turned up and I don't know what station it was on, but they were talking about should the Panthers draft Cam Newton? And then I go straight into school. I'm going to Central Piedmont Community College at the time. I go on my computer. I'm like, well, let's look up this dude. I didn't even care what work I had to do. I was so enthralled by Cam Newton, I had to look him up then and there. And I said to myself after watching his highlights, oh, my God, dude. If the Carolina Panthers draft this dude right here, this quarterback from Auburn that won the Heisman, won a national championship, if the Panthers draft this dude, 
I'm a fan for life. There you go. And here I am on the C3 Carolina Cat Chronicles podcast. I love being here every Tuesday night and every Sunday with my boys. It's been um, a terrible past two years, but I'm hopeful, man. You know why? Because our motto is keep pounding. Keep pounding. That's who we are. That's what we do. We never give up. Sam Mills told us what to do, and we're just following his lead, man. Following that lead, we're going to be Panther fans till the day we die, and I'm hoping that Cam Newton uh, leads the same to a Super Bowl. But it's been... Um, an incredible ride. I'm happy to have been on it. And uh, I love my Carolina Panthers. And this decade brought me to the football team. So um, um, I love it. All right. Well, let's. I was supposed to leave 45 minutes ago. Because <laughs> you love us, man. You but... know to never put a time limit on yourself. Felt like a decade. Actually, I replied to the guy. I was supposed to be a guest on somebody else's podcast. And then he said, I'm too tired to do it. I was like, all right, well, then we're going to keep. There you go. All right, so let's get the hell out of here when it comes to decade in review. I do feel like we got to ice some mofos up. Yeah. Though, And I know I don't know if you guys are ready, but my ice up pick goes for this. And it's uh, like a, a sort of homage. Oh, actually, no. You know what? We did have one other thing we we're going to do. We did uh, memorable games from 2015, 2016. Memorable games. Oh, 2014, most memorable game. I know Cody and I agree on this one. Yeah. We, uh, it's the we tie. The Bengals tie to me. Uh, anybody else? Can do you remember anything about 2014 other than the Bengals tie? That was a seven, eight, and one season. Yes, yep. the uh, final game, dude. Who we beat? I don't remember. Wasn't that the Saints? Oh, uh, uh, we beat the maybe. Saints for the division. Oh yeah, and then we get in, uh, and Colin Kaepernick comes in and beats us, right? Or did we lose yeah, to Arizona? No, 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 no. We lost in Seattle in 2014. Cam threw the interception to Cam Chancellor in Seattle, and that finished that season. Kaepernick put the axe to us in 2013 in the playoffs. Because, yeah, okay. that was the year that they went to the Super Bowl with the yeah. uh, 49ers in Baltimore. What's yeah. the 2017 memorable game? Oh, mine, mine is easy. I don't know about y'all. I have mentioned Patriots. No, it's and, and listen. Some of the most memorable games are the ones that we lose, but it's the performances that we have in those games. It's that 2017 loss in the Superdome for the third yeah. time in a row to the Saints. And man, Where the, the Cam level was fight, awesome. The level of fight that that you saw and Cam Newton throwing to a bunch of no name receivers, dropping passes in the end zone. Devin Funches not going up and get the getting the jump balls just Cam Newton did everything in his power to will his football team to beat the division rival and advance in the playoffs and try and win for Davis and Khalil and Peppers. And it just wasn't to be, man. And I think that's the last time, even up until now, that we've seen vintage Cam Newton. Just That might have been it. Yeah. That might have been it. All right, 2018, CK, I know you got this one. 
Pittsburgh, man. I mean, that was the, the beginning, the beginning of, of collapse. The collapse. Yeah. yeah, the beginning of the collapse. What about 2019? What's the most memorable game of this season? <laughs> I think it's got to be Washington. God, what a shit show, right? Yeah, I think I it's got to be losing to Washington. There is nothing at this point nope, that nope. got Ron Rivera. I fine. disagree. Losing to San Fran was pretty bad. Uh, I disagree. My my game, just like everybody else, was the first game that I went to. Man, the first Panther game I ever went to was this year: Panthers against the Jacksonville Jaguars. So. uh Christian McCaffrey had a day somersaulted into the end zone, yeah. uh, ran for two touchdowns, I think had a passing touchdown. Uh, I got to see the brilliance that is Christian McCaffrey firsthand. So, yeah, man. I and the Hall of Honor. And the Hall of Honor. And I was there with my boys, man. Tony okay. Dunn, Chef Jeff, my man CK, we were sitting there chilling. Greg, we're going to do it again next year, and they're going to be there with us, man. We're going to come to my house. We'll do a show with all of us here, man. But, uh, yeah, that was easily my my most memorable game of the 2019 season. Since you took that one, I'll tell you mine. I'm going to take the low-hanging fruit here. It's the preseason game against the Patriots. Oh! Because you had those club-ass seats. No, no, I went to the Bills. I went to the Bills uh, for that uh, one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm I'm just talking about what happened and and how, what yeah. derailed this season oh, with uh, Cam, Cam Newton's injury. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Low hanging fruit, but everybody took all the other ones. So, well, hey, uh, Tony, before we get to ice up picks, man, I do want to bring one thing up. Actually, I want to mention two things real quick. One thing is the uh, the draft situation. We don't have to talk about this for a long comment on it. I did say about two, three weeks ago that we're going to pick between sixth and eighth. Right now, we're locked in an eighth. We can't get worse than that. If the Jaguars and let me see, Jaguars and um, the Chargers win this week, we will pick sixth. If one mm-hmm. of those two teams win this week and we lose, we'll pick seventh. So oh, we're going to be between the sixth and the eighth pick based on yes. what happens this week. Jaguars play the Colts, which they can win that game, and the Chargers play the Chiefs, which are probably not going to win that game, but they can. So there's a chance we could be the sixth pick. Um, if it meant then, we dropped out of the top ten, would you guys want to win this game against the Saints? I don't want to win this game against the Saints regardless of what happens. There's no point. For what? You know? like the Just for me, I, I hate to tank for a season, but, I mean, what, what we gain – Absolutely, I win in this game. Do you? What, let's, what let's would take, it do to the Saints, though? Well, That's yeah, the real say, I'm, yeah I'm, we would take away their home field advantage. Yeah, they probably still get a buy. They could still get a buy. No, saying, they would. They wouldn't. They would play the, the NFC Championship game. In, in the, the Packers, the, the Packers will have a, a tiebreaker over them. And if the 49ers beat the Seahawks, then the 49ers will have the tiebreaker over the uh, over the Saints. So I don't think then the we got to beat them. We got to beat them and get pick number seven. But yeah, so if we beat them, then can then we get pick the, number seven still? No, no. We, I, if we beat them, I'm telling you, we'll be outside of the ten, top ten. No, right now we're eight. If, if we beat them, we'll stay eighth because the Jets are six and nine. They already have one more win than us, and the Cardinals are five, nine, and one. Well, if the Cardinals lose, that yeah, that tie won't matter. Be, yeah, so and we we'll beat them. Yeah. 
it's yeah. possible to drop outside the top 10. Mm. Um, uh, listen, I'm going to be at this game, so I'll probably be joining the, the, the show uh, a little bit late on Sunday. But I'm going to be there with my brother, who is a diehard Saints fan. And, um, so, you know, it, I, he's expecting the Saints to go and slaughter us. So, I mean, even though I want us to lose for the draft so pick, if I'm there and I get to shit talk my brother man, and, yeah. and his man. yeah, man, I'm gonna be a happy. That's camper. where the or let's talk about it this way. Let's not let Greg's last game be a loss. You know, Greg Olson has given so much to this organization. Even I mean, damn it, CK, why do you have to make so many good points and shit? I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess, yeah. I can see that. I mean, but. there's just there's you. You guys got to remember these. Well, guys we can also say let's not make this uh, Perry Fuels last loss. Well, here's the part too. Yeah, I mean, you got these guys fighting for jobs, but you also you got to think about it this way too. They're not only fighting for jobs out there. If you think that the Super Bowl hangover is the only thing that impacts people, think about going into the off season with an eight game losing streak on your conscience. Does that not impact you mentally just as much as a – I wouldn't say just as much as a Super Bowl hangover, but, I mean, that, that can be pretty impactful too. And, and it, how many times do you see a team collapse and then build back up and actually do anything yeah. within the next five years? Big big difference, though. We, we, we're minus our MVP quarterback, and we have the possibility of having a great draft pick coming up next year to go into the season with. So it's, it's not quite the same. If we were with Cam Newton right now and we had the same record – then I could see what you were saying, but we we you know it's going to be a different team when you put Cam Newton behind the center. So we'll see. I'm hoping. I I'm hoping. I, I, I really I'm do hoping. hope that. Exactly. I really yeah. do. Right. But it's I, eleven twenty. I, Let's yeah. ice some fools up, guys. My stuff, huh? All right, ice up, ice up, ice up, ice up. This is what we're talking about. We anybody is fair game, political, social, from eleven year old kids in Kentucky looking for a team. Still icing you up, mofo. Uh, to, I don't know, the, what is he? How old is our president? He's pretty old. Yeah, ice any of those fools up on any topic. I'm going to start with this, is there's this video that I saw on the intranet. You can search it on Twitter. Should put it up, but it's like, what happens when a, a kid with a pacifier rides a dirt bike. Anyway, there's somehow this like seven year old kid is still sucking on a pacifier, a six year old kid, and they put him on this little dirt bike. I mean, when I say a dirt bike, I'm not talking about one of the giant, giant ones, but it's not the like tiny one you buy. Yeah. yeah, it's not from the Toys R Us, but it's not from the Ron Ayers Motorsports either. They put this kid on it, and he's got a pacifier in his mouth, and he just shoots off and runs smack dab into a fucking steel pole. Bam! Oh, face oh. blasted. So to you, oh. <laughs> ice up. That kid, his parents, all of them. <laughs> I ain't got anything. I've been laughing about it all day. I could have. <laughs> I should have said it was Donald Trump and the windmill shit. But I'm tired. Uh, that guy, he don't even, he's not even worthy of my ice anymore. So to parents that give their kids dirt bikes while they still use pacifiers, ice up. 
Yeah. Uh, all right, I'll, I'll go ahead and go. Uh, I'm icing up everybody who is a sports analyst that is not recognizing Christian McCaffrey as the offensive player of the year. I get that he's not in the MVP vote anymore because of the way our team is right now. But I hear so many people talking about um, Michael Thomas because he broke this record of 144 receptions by receiver. That's great. And that's an awesome His record. His voice is it's, crazy as shit, too, by the uh, way. Well, I, I'm, I'm super proud of him for breaking that record. But here's let, let's take a couple things into consideration. One, you're a wide receiver, and you have Drew Brees throwing to you, okay? Christian McCaffrey is going to finish the season – with about 20 less catches than you as a running back with second and third string quarterbacks throwing to him. And by the way, he's 67 yards away from being the third player in the NFL to have 1,000 yards receiving and 1,000 yards rushing. If he is not your offensive player of the year, uh, well, I was going to say some bad stuff there. I'll just say ice up. How about that? Right <laughs> well say some really bad stuff. Christian McCaffrey well is not your offensive player of the How year. How many? Record, ice up. How many no. more yards does he need to beat uh, the scrimmage uh, record? Uh, I'm not sure what that is, but I know to break two th- a thousand and a thousand, he needs 67 more yards. He broke his he broke his record last week of receptions by a run by two. He's got one more game. I'm sure he's probably going to get 10 or 11 catches in this game. He's definitely going to break this record. Uh, you know he's what's really lead, funny? Going to lead the league in touchdowns. Like, like, how can you not give this guy offensive player of the year? So, yeah. Well, we, what's really funny about that, and I'll, I'll move on real quick after this, but uh, Michael Thomas has one of the lowest per reception yardage in the NFL, meaning that he is literally running slants and getting knocked down after six yards. He's yeah. still getting some yardage. He's a good player. Don't get me wrong. He catches everything coming his way, mm-hmm. but he isn't necessarily just dominating uh, deep or anything like that. It's literally just the slant routes that he is running and he's just getting those receptions and they're adding up to make him the number one receiver in the NFL right now. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, the interesting part, if you compare him to other people who had that record prior to him, they had a much better yardage performance than he did. Oh, yeah. And touchdowns too. You don't have that many yeah. touchdowns. So. so anyway, go ahead. Sorry. I've got to give some hate to some Saints players. Yeah. Yeah. Who are you icing uh, up, man? Um, I, you know, <laughs> I, I kind of feel inclined to do this. Um, even though I was an advocate for Ron Rivera last year saying that he should be here, I'm going to ice up David Tepper for not pulling the trigger on Ron Rivera and uh, kind of setting us back for one more season before we can actually be the team that we wanted to be. So you think you should have done it before the season started? I, I think – I mean, we you had so many people calling for his head after that, uh, after that season last year. So I think, yeah, I think that – I'm going to ice up David Tepper for not not making that decision. Exclamation mark. Makes sense. Yo, so, okay, I'm going to go ahead and, um, first off, say thanks to my man, Tony Dunn. I love you, man. Thank you for having me on this show, man. This is my Tuesday nights, man. I love this shit, dude. Um, And, um, uh, also, I want to say if your if your NFL team is bad, it helps when you have a damn good college football team. And my Clemson Tigers are going for their second national championship in a row, so go Tigers, man! But that leads me to my ice up pick um, today. The Miami Hurricanes just lost to Louisiana Tech, and wow, dude, they got shut out fourteen to nothing. Mm. Wow. And 
This former ECU head coach Skip Oltz, then Louisiana Tech, also where Vernon Butler went to school, I believe. The and and listen, man, the Clemson Tigers can be undefeated going into next year, also, and we're still not going to be the number one or number two seed because the ACC is a dumpster fire, man. It's Clemson and literally no one else. So to the ACC, you're you're hurting my Tigers, man. Um, I, I'm not here for it. I need you to be better. I sub son. All right, you're listening. is just cannon fodder. fodder. You're listening to the C3 Panthers podcast. We're here usually on Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. Holidays have us changed a little bit, but we'll be back after the new year at our normally scheduled time of Tuesday night, 9 p.m. Next week, we'll be here on Wednesday or Thursday. We still have to devise it as a team. We do not miss podcasts because we care about this Panthers team, whether regardless, not irregardless. That's not a word. Regardless of whether or not things are going well or not, we are going to be here talking about y'all, talking about the Panthers on the internets, just the way it is. And look, yep. is that the, there's yep. a lot. All it does is takes Cam Newton, folks. All it does is takes Cam Newton. Don't. Don't go to sleep saddened. Go to sleep awake and woke and hard. Go to sleep awake. <laughs> no, go to sleep woke. Is what, yeah, is what I was trying to say. It's like, I want you to be heartened. I want you to feel okay knowing that we're going to have Cam Newton next year we for are. the very minimum one year. And things can be all right. All right. We'll be here next week. You guys, check us out on Twitter, at cat underscore chronicles. The C3 Panthers podcast on TuneIn, Stitcher, iTunes, wherever the hell you get your stuff. Smash the thumbs up button on YouTube. Cody Lack, where can they get you on Twitter? At Cody Lack, C-O-D-Y-L-A-C. Listen, man, the C3 podcast doesn't quit. We go year-round. And this is my time of season, man. I'm starting to uh, look at these players from colleges here, there, and yonder. Uh, I love doing this. We're going to be doing a lot of uh, draft segments coming up this year. This is my wheelhouse. I love it. Uh, Check out drafttech.com. There's a brand-new mock draft up right now. Uh, I I really go in-depth with these comments on draft tech. So check them out. Uh, I write for the Carolina Panthers and the Houston Texans. Uh, and I ain't got shit else to say, Tony Dunn. Get me the hell out of here. <laughs> CK, congratulations on your new home and Merry yes, Christmas. Sir. How can they follow you on Twitter? Um, you can find me at Codizzle Allen. I've uh, slowly been growing, man. I'm getting slow, getting a little one at a time, a little here and there. Yep, a Maybe nibble there, after yeah. a nibble. And we got Greg the Stat Daddy, but they call him the Bad Daddy. How can you? How can they find you before we talk next week? Oh man, just like you said, you can find me at the Bat Daddy fifty two on Twitter. I'll talk to you about just about anything. And check out my other show. It's the Super Civil Servants Podcast. We're doing a Star Wars Rise of the Skywalker review this week or this Friday, so it'll drop Monday. I did another one on Fanboy Garage last Saturday. Check that out. And then uh, first podcast of the year is going to be uh, 
guest starring Cody Lashney, and we're going to be talking about The Watchmen. Yes, sir. Yeah, man, so, I might be tuned in. If you're in that kind of stuff, yeah, if you're in I'm that kind of stuff, to, then come check us out. So I'm about to go watch an episode of The Watchmen as I fall asleep. Guys, C3 Panthers Podcast, 252-228-5098. I know we didn't get to cat calls this week. We'll get to them next week. We'll play them all. Guys, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We'll see you in 2020. Yes. Later much. Keep pounding into the New Year, folks. Yes, sir. Keep pounding. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.